the blast from our past network. This is William Sadler, and you're listening to Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Screamers, starring Peter Weller, Jennifer Rubin, and Charles Edwin Powell. Welcome to another screaming good episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. And joining me, as always, is my second variety co-host, Zacky Poo. <laughs> What's up, my man? Can I come too? <laughs> Can I come too? <laughs> Get off my back. I'm just going to see. That, that's all I'm going to say through this entire episode is the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Just so you know that I'm a streamer. I mean, a, ca- a screamer. I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> What's up, dude? What's up, my man? <laughs> I, and by the way, my wife told me what the intro was going to be. She was like, you should call it a screaming good time. I was like, all right, baby, I will. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I actually watched this uh, with Myra. And I say that because I didn't think that this was going to be her type of movie. Uh, and of course, guys and gals, we're talking about Screamers, 1995. And uh, she was like, no, no, I'm, I'll check it out. I was like, okay, cool. She really enjoyed it. I was like, okay. She was fully invested and in, in fully into it. And then after it was all over, she's like, yeah, that was a screaming good time. Oh, hey, that's what you should say is your opening. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's awesome. Oh, I'll man. use that. So thank you to Myra, my wife, for that intro. Uh, nice yes. job, Myra. Yes, nice exactly. Job. So Screamers, 1995. Uh, this is my pick. So before we talk about how it's near and dear to my heart, Corey, uh, Zach, what is your connection with this film? if any well um i don't have them anymore that's a long sad story about what i did with all my fangoria back uh order back issues um but we'll get to that someday uh but i have i remember when the cover issue of fangoria came out with the the little screaming child who's factored in for half of a second that scene <laughs> literally half i clocked it um and i was instantly interested in this movie when it came out did not see it in the theater saw it on vhs and uh man i remember watching it once and not being the biggest fan at the time um i think for reasons now i look back and go yeah that was something i wasn't into back in 1995 certain conventions that i'll talk about in the episode uh, but damn, I'm glad you chose it because it was, it was a, yes, it was a screaming good time indeed, Myra. Uh, but, but overall, like very happy to watch this movie, uh, lots to say on it as I'm sure you do, uh, a world building film for damn sure. <laughs> and if I had to choose between this and hardware, I would put screamers way above, uh, the two though. I, though world building wise, on par with each other. And yeah. I will say too, if Air Raiders was ever a movie, it would be this. Oh, yeah, dude. Um aesthetically, absolutely. Uh yeah, yeah. Well, 
I'm with you, man. My introduction to this movie was Fangoria. I'm fairly certain that you and I were probably collecting around the same time, uh, you know, early, mid-90s, you know, to the late 90s, uh, collecting Fangoria magazine. And unfortunately, like you, mine are all gone as well. I wish, uh, I wish I had them. But like many of the movies that we discuss on this podcast, my introduction to it was, Fang- was Fangoria. Uh, got me excited for it. Very similar to you, I didn't love it when I was a kid, although I probably did like it a bit more than you did. Um, I just, I kind of didn't revisit it a lot, and like you said, looking at it now, uh, you know, I can see why. It didn't have a lot of action, even though I like the aesthetic to it and everything, but watching it as an adult, um, I watched it again, probably for the first time since the 90s, about, I think, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I think it was like during the time of like, you know, when we were doing this podcast, I think it was during quarantine, I watched it and I was really surprised at how well this movie held up specifically the themes, like, like all the stuff that's kind of going on in this movie, I think is really important even to today, you know, to talk about like themes of like, you know, who's actually your enemy and are we being manipulated against one another and stuff like that? And then, you know, and then of course, like where is the connection between man and machine and, you know, of a lot of Philip K. Dick tropes. And, you know, I think that probably also helps. Uh, You said, you know, you would pick this over hardware. And I think, you know, it helps that the source material, uh, the novella called Second Variety, uh, hence how I introduced you in the episode, if people didn't know that, uh, it was a Philip K. Dick story. And, of course, Philip K. Dick wrote Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner. And he also wrote, I forgot the name of the Total Recall story, but it became... Total Recall, the movie, um, and, you know... Domo Arigato, Mr. Quato, perhaps? <laughs> Quaid. <laughs> Peter Weller, come to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, dude, so so I, I think the pedigree, what's there, is impressive. And then you have freaking Dan O'Bannon, you know, uh, uh, writing a first draft on this script. And we'll talk about that all in a second, but... You know, watching this now and specifically watching it, you know, twice in, in two days to, to prepare for this. Um, yeah, I I kind of loved it even more the second time I watched it in the second, like on the second day. And I can see why it's I can see why the, the aesthetic of this film, I think, is fantastic. Uh, I think the look of it is awesome. I, I, I love the location. It feels like another planet and it's Montreal. Like they filmed at either like mostly a, a quarry, and then they filmed at a, a, a con- like a concrete factory where they make concrete and everything. And that's where they they filmed. But man, the the production design made it look like a damn alien world. Like even when I'm watching it now, it and after having watched so many like CW shows, you can kind of notice Canada. You're like, oh, that's Canadian. They did yeah. a great job of making this look like an alien planet. Yeah, I I think this film is a great movie to show low budget filmmakers what you can do on a shoestring uh granted it has a you know with the notable cast members a, a really great cast and the supporting un relatively unknown actors i thought were phenomenal as well um and we'll obviously get to that in a second but but the the fact that this was a very low budget movie uh goes to, and, and doesn't and obviously the CGI makes it comes off that way. But outside of that, 
you wouldn't even know that this is a low-budget movie. You just think it's a post-apocalyptic film. Uh, Cyborg could take note on this shit because, you know, if they would have upped their ante a little bit more, <laughs> every any opportunity to throw Cyborg under the bus, I will. <laughs> and, and, but, and you know I'm right there with you, buddy. I am with I know you, you on any opportunity. Fuck Cyborg. <laughs> I know you are. I mean, this is very simple uh, film in, in its scope, and, and you can tell, like, the, the interior shots with that, that they were just working with what they had, but they did it. It's so imaginative. It's so smart. Uh, it clearly is trying. It's clearly taking everything into consideration. It really is. And I appreciate the hell out of that. You can tell in other low budget movies, they're like, nah, no one's going to notice that. Or, nah, we don't have time to fix that. So they just go with it. This is like, this feels, this never felt that way. Never yeah. felt that way to me. I never once felt, oh, this is like so low budge. I only knew that because I was reading some of the kind of trivia on it when I was researching the movie. So obviously overall, you know, A plus for effort. A plus for effort. I think the acting does not feel low budget at all. I think that is one of the things uh, that really helps this movie stand apart from the sci-fi crowd. Everyone is turning in a fantastic performance. Uh, and then to your point, man, I it took a lot of notes to break this thing down uh, because of the world building and everything. And I got to say, sans one scene and one gimmick that I will call out early on, I think that the movie feels very like alive and vibrant, meaning like I feel like there was a history to these people before the moment that we started watching the movie. And I think it's because the world is so fleshed out and 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 so thoroughly thought out. Uh, but like I said, there is one glaring thing that I, that I'll talk about when it happens that kind of like takes me out of the of the movie. Uh, but it's early on and it's it's whatever. Um, well, and I, I will say too the this would take me out of the movie every now and then, but it's it's more just my own personal hang up for this convention. I'm not, and I talked about this on the roundtable discussion about Mortal Kombat. I'm not a fan of like that mid '90s joking kind of uh, buddy comedy shtick back and forth mm. that happens often, especially in the '90s. Yeah, I mean it really does. It is a very popular technique that just gets used in my opinion to death um movies like showdown in little tokyo would have been 10 times better if they kept the tone more serious this didn't bother me to that extent however when it did come up i was like oh come on no you know you know what i'm saying no i i I know what you're saying, although, you know, it didn't affect me as much here, but the funny thing that you mentioned, Showdown in Little Tokyo, I felt the same way with that movie. It never quite connected with me the way that I desperately wanted it to, you know? Me too, and, and, and maybe, I think that has to, yeah. Maybe it's because of what you what you say, I and I don't remember the movies, but it, maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because they leaned too much into the joking, and maybe the tone was, was all over. But yeah, dude, that was a movie I just wanted to like, but just did not. Well, I think I think when, when, and you know, I don't want people to get this confused with what I'm saying. In movies like A Predator or, a, a, you know, the Schwarzenegger films and the Stallone films where they have their one-liners, I actually, I actually, I like that stuff. Um, I think it kind of makes sense. But in a, a movie like I Come in Peace, when you've got, um, you know, Dolph Lundgren doing some, you know, he's working like the straight man character, and suddenly Brian Ben Ben's trying to be funny. They're not working off each other. It comes off as like uh, disconnected. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and that was what maybe it's a Dolph Lundgren thing. Sorry, Dolph. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because... we, we talked a lot about our, our hangups with Dolph and in, in, uh, in Dark Angel, a.k.a. I come in peace, you know. And if you think about it, I'm breaking it down now a little bit. Showdown uh, that happened. I come that happened. Red Scorpion that happens. Uh, and then in The Punisher, it happens too yeah. a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, maybe it is Dolph Lundgren. That being said, this the flip switch to this is while I still didn't enjoy it that much, the two actors engaging in the banter were playing off each other really well mm. where, where, it, where it didn't seem disconnected. And I think, yeah, I think we're finally the Freudian detective you know, deconstruction of my psyche is coming up and I'm like, this is, that's what it is. It's, you gotta be in on the joke together. Yeah. Murtaugh and Riggs were in on it together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it and probably helps movies, with chem- having chemistry with your partner. You know, I think Peter Weller and, uh, I, oh shoot. Andy Lar. And yeah, yeah, I think him and they probably yeah. had good chemistry together. So, yeah, I, I think and, uh, you know, a lot of times the chemistry will, will overshadow maybe some bad dialogue or something, you know, I think it will. I think it will, because because the dialogue w- I never felt was bad ever, actually, in this. I feel you like just, the script is, you know, you just didn't like good. that trope. You just don't dig that trope. I just don't. I, I don't know. It's and it's really like the big hit uh, uh, ruined it for me in that, too. That that I I wanted to like that movie more, but there was so much like ham-fisted comedy in that shit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, you're in the middle of something dark and morbid, and then suddenly you're like, oh, did I just shit my pants? Oh, I just shit my pants. Ugh. And you're like, no, guys, this is not working for me. Well, the I was I just wanted to circle back around what what you're saying about the tone. Um, watching the docu the documentaries that are on the Blu-ray, the Shaw Factory Blu-ray, you know, they're they're like twenty minute discussions with some key people. The director, one, uh, Jennifer Rubin, another one. Um, but also uh Miguel Tejada Flores, um, the the screenwriter who did a who did like the rewrite pass after Dan O'Bannon, um, he specifically talked about the fact that the Dan O'Bannon's original script was so bleak so oppressive you know like like he was like you, you felt drained after reading it there was no reprieve in it at all and i think that probably you know the producer I, I i know for a fact the producers asked him to actually add some you know some levity some 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 lightness some like to actually <laughs> well, give you a, an idea of like who to root for here like you know he, hmm. he i think going into it you didn't even like everyone was so bleak that it just no one was the main character than the original script. It's just like everyone's it's everything's terrible. So at least he gave like gave you something to sort of cling on to and and maybe some tropes like help us connect with these characters. But I, I think what you're feeling is maybe some of his rewrites. It's too bad that the people I feel like I connected the most with didn't make it all the way. <laughs> <clears throat> and and honestly, like I did not think I was going to like the movie The Road with Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think Bleak works if it it's done right. And yeah. I think that you could easily redo this movie or or um, build upon it, not like the sequel, um, which I didn't see, but I heard it was god-awful. Um, you, can re- you can add on to this, make it continue to make it bleak, and I think people will be down for that. What's that video game that people play that they're making a movie oh, out of? Oh, The Last of Us? 
Last of Us. Yeah, yeah. that's bleak I mean, as shit. Trust me, I played shit. the first one. You know, and and I was actually talking yeah. to Myra. I mean, I, I've said it before, and this is my trope now, but this would actually work as like an HBO series because there's so much that I want to like get into, like the Alliance versus the Nebs, you know, versus like you know, like the fact that like you know, all the Alliance people used to be, you know, new economic block people. Like there, there's so much interesting stuff there. And then you throw totally. in all the, 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 the themes that, you know, nowadays we're so used to like robots feeling things and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when Philip K. Dick wrote this in the, I don't know, late seventies, early eighties. And then Dan, cause Dan O'Bannon's screenplay, his first draft, he wrote that like in 81 or 82. He wrote that before total recall. So it's like that this was sitting around for a bit, but a, I think a lot of these tropes were kind of big and new at the time, but then now in 2021, they might not be so new, but they're still so very relevant. And I think that this movie, and like I said earlier, I think that's one of the reasons why this movie actually holds up really well, because all the stuff they're talking about still is relevant to today's climate. Yeah, yeah, look, I, I just watched uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines with Bodhi on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's really, really, really good, like really yeah. entertaining. And it plays on the, you know, what if technology took over? And uh, and it's, it's so smart. And that, I mean, this movie can easily be connected in that same universe of like, what if technology decided to throw us for a loop and decide to make us our, their bitch. <laughs> well, and, and it's also interesting too now, because, you know, we all know that, that at some point, probably within our lifetimes, because they're talking about it, uh, we're going to have a manned mission to Mars. Um, we're going to see that. And we also know that the first mission they're kind of going to get stranded there. It's going to be technically a suicide mission. So when I'm watching, because there's not going to be any way for them to, to get back, essentially, and they have to set up the infrastructure. But when I'm watching this and they start playing with the themes of, like, essentially they're all stranded on that planet and the whole rest of the universe has moved on, I was like, wow, like, is that what it's going to feel like as we move into this galactic future? And I just, I never thought about that as an idea that you could just be like, well, Let's just cut off this entire planet, leave all those fuckers to die old, and then we'll just move on to over here and front. You know, it just—I was like, wow, that is such a big concept that just, man, that flew over my head when you know when we were 14, 15 years old watching it. You know? Oh yeah, I I don't I think I tapped out when I was a kid um, because it it wasn't checking the boxes that I wanted checked at the time. Like I, I either wanted something balls to the wall gory, or you know like the ramped up TNA factor, which really didn't have either of those things. Yeah. Uh, but looking at it now with a sophisticated mind and a more open mind and a more nostalgic mind, uh, you know, thoroughly enjoyed the hell out of it. Like I said earlier, like it really did. And mm -hmm. I think um, it's funny, uh, you know, when we talk about the cast, how, you know, one particular guy, was just sounds like he was just doing it for a paycheck, but you wouldn't have known based on his performance. <laughs> yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. And before we get into the cast and crew, I did just want to address what you mentioned earlier also about how this is therapy for you and for me too. We, we both do therapy through this podcast. Uh, but one of the other things that I'm always interested in looking at is like your movie selections versus mine. And I think our listeners, if they've 
been listening since the beginning, uh, you can pretty much tell which one is a Zack movie, which one is a Corey movie. Uh, Zack, you love your high school exploitations. And I was like, because I'm just thinking about that. I'm like, you know, he, I, you know, it, to kind of distill things down to its its easiest form, I was, I was thinking, I was like, you know, it's funny. Zack was always trying to maybe learn about the bullies who were picking on him, like, as to, like, reasons why. And then I look at these movies, like, these, these, uh, the, or you're also probably looking at, at, like, the revenge factor of, like, getting back. So, like, it felt good to kind of watch that. And these, I like these movies, like, hardware and all this kind of stuff, you know, these world-building movies. And I think it's because I wanted to get away. Like, I think that's why, you know, it was. I, I, I don't know. I'll continue to examine this. But I think pretty much everyone can tell this is a Corey movie right here. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Like when when I when I did the unboxing, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, please consider it because uh, it, it it's a lot of fun. We do a lot of fun stuff on there, and one of the things we do is that, like these unboxing videos, which I think are pretty damn entertaining. And now my son is actually a part of the unboxing mm-hmm. videos uh, in in a, in a really good way. But um, when I opened it up, I was like, does not surprise me. <laughs> You're like, uh, I, pro- I all, probably could have bet on this was coming at some point. Yeah. And, and, but then I'm like, but good choice. <laughs> Cause I knew I was going to like it more than I did back in the day. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that comes up so often now with me, uh, with revisiting movies from my childhood that, that I knew at the time I was like, man, I'm not going to really like this. I felt that way with a lot of like, obviously eighties pop culture films, like pretty in pink. I did not like that when I first saw it. And, and now I like it a lot more, um, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people were, were surprised at the fact that I've never seen dirty dancing, but, uh, but I will watch it eventually soon. And I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it, you know, and because the nostalgia is a hell of a drug, uh, but also too, like there's a, just a better appreciation and a better respect for the craft. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to the fact that this was a low budge film, uh, man, they what for what they what they had and what they did, hats off, hats yeah. off to that Canadian crew, hats off to those Canadian supporting actors as well. Yeah, yeah, seriously, oh, the whole cast again, the whole cast, um, and then you know. I, I, this movie kind of doesn't, you know, pop up a lot on on the social medias or whatever. So I wasn't sure like if people were going to be that interested. But man, judging by the reaction of our announcement today that you know we're recording it, everyone's like, "Yay, screamers love that movie!" It's like, okay, okay, all right, yeah. that's cool, that's cool. So I'm I'm excited to get into it, dude. You want to take us into the uh, cast and, and crew? Absolutely, absolutely. Obviously, uh, you know, Peter Weller, his face is plastered on the American version of the poster, which, you know, honestly, I know there's the, the, the foreign version on the Scream Factory slipcover. Not slipcover, but... Uh, the front insert. side, yeah. Yeah, the, the, both sides feature uh, different variations on the poster. Both are terrible, in my opinion. Both are <laughs> really I, bad. I know, dude. I never... I, you know what's funny? I never liked this original poster um yeah. but then yeah the screen factory one looks even worse and then i but then it's weird like you said nostalgic nostalgia is a hell of a drug so now when i look at this even though i don't technically like it i'm now at least filled with 50 percent nostalgia for it so i'm like okay that's cool that works yeah i was filled with zero percent on this one but uh it's, but you know it, yeah. it's it, it i'm just not a fan of like the main actor getting a big face on the poster. They and they did again the nineties. The nineties. Photoshop. Nineties. Photoshop ruined movie posters. Photoshop ruined movie posters, and and then they went from big head to every single person in the movie is on the poster, which sucks too. Like, can we just get 
a, a poster like the from look at the posters from the 70s and the 80s please please the explorers can you imagine the movie the explorers if it just had the three because there's a dvd the dvd version of explorers the joe dante film has the three main uh yeah, lead actors I, on it i know which one and you're talking about that's shit that's the old vhs cover. cover that was a yeah, shitty ass vhs cover daryl the kid movie daryl did the same thing too shit movie poster terrible and then if you look at the original posters for those movies they're beautiful like the explorers one it's so nostalgic with the the bmx bike on the ground and the picket fence and like with the stars in the sky Mm -hmm. give me that shit give me the bleak wasteland with a with a blade coming out of the sand yeah yeah something like artistic and stylized that's all you gotta do yeah mondo i I know right i know exactly (laughs) or or hell you know you're saying go back to the 80s i man i'm actually falling in love with like early 70s movie posters lately oh me too late 60s i mean god damn that well, those shit was are, amazing those are even better uh, yeah those, those are, are like works better. of art yeah the 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 80s was was starting to get more into featuring the different actors and i get that you know but but still like they but they still also had an artistic quality mm-hmm. talking about pretty in pink that that black and white poster yeah. with the with the pink writing is iconic dude yeah. Anyways, no, no, um, no, real quick. I just want to say I agree with you. Like, that's the best version of like a quote unquote Photoshop uh, cover, even though it's probably technically not because it was the 80s. But it was yeah. just a picture. But then they did the whole chromatic thing. And I'm like, that's that's genius right there. You know, like genius. they just had the pink and black or whatever. I was like, that's good. That's good shit. So, yeah. But can, can we do that? Can we do that? Yeah. No. Thank God for Mondo, though, like bringing like movie posters back into the forefront. Yeah, yeah, and fucking uh, go find Charles Band with his with his full moon posters. He was always a good guy of yeah. figuring out what sold. Um, anyways, yeah, top build cast. Peter Weller plays Joe Hendrickson, the leader of uh, his you know our division squad. Um, obviously, we all know who Peter Weller is. He he on record apparently just kind of did this for a paycheck, but. Even if he phoned it in, you wouldn't have been able to tell. You he does a great job. You can't tell. He's fantastic. And I will say, this was toward, you can tell by his body of work when he just started taking movies for the money, you know, because mm-hmm. like in the 90s, he did so many straight-to-video movies. Yeah. And this movie wasn't straight-to-video, but this was kind of the beginning of the end as far as his low-budge career. Yeah, although um, I will say everyone on the documentary had nothing but amazing things to say about Peter Weller. Apparently, uh, Jennifer Rubin said he took them all out to go see, oh, shit, I think it was like the Rolling Stones concert or something like that. And then she was like, yeah, I went over to his house to like go meet with him or something. And she's like, I heard this like jazz playing, and I go in, and that's him playing jazz, and like Jeff Goldblum's on drums, and they're just jamming. And I'm just like, and everyone's like, even the director was like, he's just this insanely remarkable human being. He just, he's so classy and just, just amazing. It sounds like it too. Uh, I know he just, he just wrapped, he just wrapped an interview for a uh, extensive RoboCop documentary that's being made oh. right now by a fan. Okay. And the guy just got him and he's like, okay, I'm done. Like I got everybody I needed to get for this documentary. Um, and, and apparently like Peter Weller was super nice about the whole thing. And of course he was, uh, you know, it just sounds like shit. He, he was just doing a job and that's it. That's all. He's like, what else, what else can you say? He yeah. always turns in an A-list performance. Yeah. Even if, even if he does shit movies and, and he's done a ton, but, um, but this one he was great in clearly. Um, I'm going to go by IMDb's top billing. Roy DeBoy plays Becker. 
And Roy, um, I know him from La Femme Nikita, the television series. That's which what I was going to say, loved. too. I love that show. That show was great on USA. It ran for like four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, really great follow-up. Forget Point of No Return. Just watch mm-hmm. Luke Besson's original La Femme Nikita and then watch the television series. It's badass. I agree with you, 100%. Um, Jennifer Rubin plays Jessica Hansen, no relation to the Hansen brothers from <laughs> the Mbop band or the hockey uh, twins from oh, yeah, yeah. Slapstick. Oh, not the um, hockey triplets, right? Weren't they triplets? I think I thought they were maybe. I think they're triplets. Mm-hmm. I got to go back and watch it. I like that while. movie. Yeah, I watched it only once, but I loved it. I love it. It's Paul Newman at yeah. his best. Um, yeah, I mean, shit. She was, she was on everything in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Bad Dreams, uh, The Crush, which uh, is a really underrated thriller with Alicia Silverstone, yeah. in my opinion. Back, back when, like, we've talked about this so many times, how they don't make those mid-tier thrillers anymore, like those sexual thrillers like they used to in the early 90s. I miss I miss these movies like The Crush and Single White Female and, you know, Hand the Rocks a Cradle and all that shit. Yeah, and I don't know if we'll ever go back to that because of the culture we're, we have now. Because I, it's like, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, th- I think, well, I, you know, uh, content aside, I think those type of films, like what you would say is the thriller, they, I think they just live on Netflix and, and you know, the streaming services now. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't think they come out in theaters, you know. Lifetime. Yeah, Lifetime basically. movies are all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andy Lauer plays Ace Jefferson. And Andy Lar was in uh, Caroline in the City, which was actually a really great sitcom <laughs> back in the day with Leah Thompson. Love that show. Um, bro, actually, <laughs> bro, I was a big Caroline in the City fan, and I loved him on it. Um, but when I was younger, I kind of got him confused in my head with uh, Leland Orser, uh, who was the dad in the guest. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. I, I just in my head, I kind of got him them confused when I was when I was a kid. Um, but I, I realized, like looking through um, Andy's uh, uh, Lauer's credits, um, I love him. Like I, I saw him. I'm watching the movie. I'm like, oh, dude, I miss this dude. You know, I love this dude. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Caroline C. I remember. Yeah, that's where I liked him from. Then I'm looking through, and I'm like, damn, I really haven't seen anything else with him. But yet, when I watch this, when I watch Screamers, he just, I just immediately like. Reconnected with him because he has such a great, fun energy, even though obviously he's acting scared and stuff. I just, I love his energy in this movie. Yeah, he brings a different element to this film. He's a great uh, supporting actor in this movie. And yeah, I know what you're saying as far as like, he reminds me a little bit of Charlie Schlatter from uh, 18 Again and um, uh, the Ferris Bueller TV show. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of Matt Adler from North Shore. And Whitewater Summer, just that kind of like not a very big guy, a little Michael J. Fox ish, yeah. you know, that, that yeah. kind of 80s white guy, like, you know, this snarky, but in not in an asshole way, yeah. more like yeah. they're cute. Yeah, you he, know? He, little he, Matthew Perry. Yeah, he rides the line. He rides the line between annoying and, and fun. He never he never goes into annoying, you know? No, no, actually, no, he doesn't. Um, Charles Edwin Powell, Our friend boy. of the show. 
<laughs> He's friend a, of the show, fan of the show. We're friends uh, with him on uh, on Instagram, and uh, we're always yeah. uh, he's he's always liking our stuff and kind of you know commenting back and forth and everything. And uh, I actually just reached out to him uh, today to hopefully uh, get an interview. Um, I haven't heard back. I'm sure he's a busy man, but I, I hope we do hear from him because man, he his character Ross is what a what a he's he has the least amount of screen time of all the main characters in this movie, like and everything but he sure is memorable yeah i mean he he was great uh yeah we'll 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 get to him when we get to him obviously but um you know he he's been in actually a lot of stuff over 70 titles on imdb um he's currently in a show called the wind raider uh, a voice actor um he's he's been in a plethora of things from uh fear of the dark and uh lost junction and you know, just like a, a a cornucopia of films, if you will, if you will. <laughs> well, and and uh, I don't quite know the backstory behind Exorcist Three, and this is something I would actually like to talk to him about as well. But he's uncredited uh, for playing uh, Jason Miller's character in the film. Um, I. I think again, I'm not 100 sure, but I think it's one of those movies that had a bunch of reshoots and everything. So, uh, and I know Jason Miller died kind of young, so I, I don't know. The, again, I don't know the whole backstory, but I know that uh, uh, Charles Edwin Powell uh, played um, Jason Miller's character uh, in a lot in some of the scenes uh, in the film. Well, if we have him on the show, we'll have to find out. Ron White plays Chuck Elberak, really, really good actor as well. Uh, very understated. And it's clear at the moment he started talking, I'm like, oh, this guy's Canadian. And <laughs> I, I really dug his character. I was like, this is like a Canadian version of Tom Berenger. I really <gasps> dig this guy. God, that's uh, a good one. That's that's good. I like that too. And again, I liked his character too. I there's going to be no characters that I, <laughs> that I don't like. By the way, no, I have no complaints about any of the characters. Uh, he was in Unforgiven, yep. and he's you know he's been in a. a, a, a quite a few roles, quite a few movies as well. Uh, I'm just going to mention one more, uh, just because she stood out to me. Uh, her name is Liliana Komorowska. She plays Landowska. Yeah. She's <laughs> just really the, funny. You're li- li- Lieutenant Landowska. Yeah, she's at the beginning. Yeah, she's at the beginning just for a half a second. Um, she's in The Art of War, which was also directed by the same director as Screamers. Um and she's not in a she's she hasn't been in a a lot of like well-known things but i would see her from time to time on like television shows or movies and she always stood out to me i'm like who is this why do i know this person looks familiar to me she was in two episodes of highlander and that's where i remembered her from which was also shot in canada what, was and she... she was in Mar- martial outlaw with uh <laughs> jeff wincott which is actually a really kick-ass martial art movie. Anyway. Was, she, was she a Highlander? Like, was she one of the people that, you know, that you had to fight? I, I'm pretty sure she was. I'm pretty sure she was. Dude, uh, when, when I was watching her in this movie, uh, first off, again, a testimony to nobody turns in a bad performance, even people who have, like, three minutes of screen time. And, and that is... That's the the director, you know. That, that's a culmination of a lot of things, uh, but it has a lot to do with the director. And I think it's a testimony to how good of a director he is. That I'm like you. I mean, even like the the guy at, in the beginning where you know who loses the game. He, even he was good. You know what I mean? Like everybody was good uh, in the in this film. Everybody was. Everybody turns in a really solid performance. I know we've said that a few times already, um, which makes the movie 
that much more enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. And can I throw one out that I recognized? Uh, Bruce Boa played Secretary Green, but of course I and you and all everyone in the entire freaking world know him as Rebel General Riken on Echo Base uh, on Hoth. He was fucking General Riken on Hoth. And of again, course. When I watched this last year, I didn't look at IMDb before doing it, but right when he comes on screen and he starts talking, and I'm like, you know, I can just hear him say, like, a death mark's not an easy thing to live with. You know, you're a, you're a good fighter solo. will be sad. To, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. <laughs> it's General Riken. <laughs> That's right. I knew I recognized him from somewhere, and now it all makes sense. It all makes sense. So I also want to really quick, before we jump in, I wanted to mention that Miguel Tejada Flores, he also wrote uh, Fright Night Part 2. I don't know if you want to mention that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and boom. <laughs> I mean, as 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 um, John Carpenter would say, just leave it alone, man. Just leave it alone. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty perfect example of... What happens when people go, man, just make one more, make one more. Come on, just make one more. Same characters. It'll be so great. No, you lightning in a bottle only happens once. You I've just, only seen that movie once. You, you can't. It, it's a, it's okay. It's not bad. I mean, everybody does well in it. It's just, it's kind of meh. It, it, I think the, the, the biggest deal is the fact that John Grease did that and he did Monster Squad. And you're like, oh, you played a werewolf twice. That's cool. <laughs> Not, not too many people can say they played a werewolf twice. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Twice. <laughs> all right, buddy. You ready to scream our way into screamers? I'm ready to scream and scream some more. <laughs> scream and scream again. and long forgotten by those who settled it. For Commander Joseph A. Hendrickson, it is worse than hell. It is home. What are they? There is a new terror in their midst. We call it a screamer. It was developed for us by Alliance on Earth to neutralize the war on the ground here. How do you know it's dead? They yanked this brain out. Pretty smart. Yeah, maybe too smart. This one seems to have modified itself. It was designed to protect them from their enemies <laughs> until it turned its sights on them. Are they alive? No one knows. They make themselves now. I heard the screaming, and then it got very quiet. Nothing except the smell of death. <laughs> Chuck, we got a new kind of screamer. He was like a person. What are they supposed to look like? Oh, you mean who are they supposed to look like? They're smarter now. That's how they get into our bunkers. Once it gets inside, that's when the killing starts. Now, the only way to tell man... He's one of them. ...from the sheep... Ah! ...is by the sound of their scream. ain't what they used to be so the movie starts with a lengthy lengthy opening crawl hell i think this is more than star wars but 
I don't have a problem with it, because like I said, I love me some world building. So, Zach, take us away. I do want to say, too, I don't know, I didn't have a problem with that either, but it was moving so damn fast that, the, <laughs> like, the guy kept talking, and the, the, the text was off the screen, and the guy was still talking. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. <clears throat> okay, here, here we go. I'll give it my best shot. <clears throat> the year 2078, a mining colony on planet Sirius 6b. For the last 50 years, the new economic bloc, the NEB Corporation, has controlled mining operations throughout the known solar system. 20 years ago, on Sirius 6b, the NEB discovered the solution to the world's energy crisis, berinium. But they soon learned that mining berinium unleashed lethal doses of radiation and pollution. The Alliance, a federation of mine workers and scientists, demanded the immediate end of mining operations. The NEB's response was to declare all-out war. The conflict between the Alliance and the NEB has fueled a new Cold War on Earth, but so far the fighting has been confined to Sirius 6b. Massive NEB nuclear bombing raids have decimated the civilian population and the once beautiful planet. Thousands more have been killed by clouds of deadly berinium radiation. Now, in the tenth year of the war, the survivors on Sirius 6b are faced with a new threat beyond imagination. Thank you, Zach, for doing that. I feel so bad because you had to read my handwriting. I, I just thought of it right before uh, uh, we started recording. I was like, I need to have Zach read this. But I was like, I sent him a picture, and it's my horrible chicken scratch. And you, my friend, are a champ. Ah, no, it's. I mean, look, you know, it's. It, I, I love to do this stuff. And that that you were not joking. That scrolling intro went on and on and on and on I thought, and you, on. I thought you were gonna say and you are not joking that is chicken scratch it, it no i mean it's it's not any scratchier than mine so uh but but I, I it was all good i'm happy to do it it like look this this is a great way to intro the movie uh a low budge movie better have some good setup and if not you're left in the wind like wait what what's going on <laughs> yeah and you're not that's not gonna happen with this one no, no, huh? There's, there's. If anything, this movie has set up in spades. What it also has is 1995 CGI uh, at the beginning. <laughs> now, I do like the title card. Screamers comes on screen, right? Well, I was gonna say, I was really gonna. I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, but sure. The the title card comes on screen, and I'm like, I'm literally writing this down. I wrote. This title card sucks. Dot dot dot. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm okay with this. Because yeah, because at first you think it's just going to be sort of a simple just the name, but then the the screamers the title actually gets sliced in half through the middle and then starts separating and then the camera sort of follows into a planet which we all know is is Sirius Six B. Um, kind of follows a meteor through the atmosphere and then you sort of see the the planet itself and then it kind of all sort of zooms zooms in, pans in, and then lands on a, what we know is an NEB soldier, a Neb soldier, uh, kind of cautiously walking over a dune. Now, you watch this this opening segment now, and it, it, it looks a little rough with the special effects, 
But I think it was very ambitious uh, for the time, especially being a low-budget film. But the director did note that it took two days for them to render this sequence, which is something that would probably take, he says, less than a minute now. And it took them yeah. two days. And he said we had to we, – we set it up. We set up all the, the pieces. We put it in there. We hit the button, walked away for two days, came back, and he's like, okay, got to change this, that, and another, change it again. So it took them like a couple of weeks to actually make this title card just because of the freaking rendering time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It makes total sense um, that it would take that long back, back in the day, Yeah, but I'm okay with it. I'm yeah. totally okay with it. I didn't know who the soldier was at first. So I'm like, who's this random generic soldier? Oh, but then again, much like many moments in this movie where I'm like, why did they do this? A few seconds later, it all gets answered. Yep, exactly. So let's get into the meat of it now. Uh, we cut to three Alliance soldiers playing a game uh, and betting cigarettes in the base's front, like, watchtower slash guard tower. Um, basically, it's a gi- it's just a base that's mostly underground, and there's, a you know, one big uh, blast door to kind of get in with, of course, some guard towers next to it. I was going to say the game they're playing, apparently it's a very ancient game. Oh. Um, and... and- that's still played to this day in the Middle East. Oh, cool. Um, which I thought was cool. I thought it was a made up game. I, I had no clue. The actual name is called um, uh, The Game of Ur. It's mm. an, it was played in ancient Mesopotamia. Apparently, it's still played in Iraq to this day. Interesting. So it kind of adds into, you know, Weller's character later looking at that coin. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, and it also kind of adds into the fact that, like, he, he refers to, you know, later on, uh, the Screamers, he, you know, they talk about taking man's first modern weapon and, and basically updating it, you know, the mobile sword, uh, the mobile autonomous sword. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of these weird connections to, like, very ancient history in this movie, except it's not like, it's not like Moontrap, where they're trying to say that the aliens are, are like, or the screamers are like ancient astronauts or something. It's just there's these cool just connections that they're making to ancient history. Probably yep. like the cycle of, of humanity and how we kind of like do these cycles and things. I, I don't know, but it, it's awesome because it makes the the movie feel grander and bigger. Oh, yeah, totally. It really does. I love it. And in the guy I mentioned earlier when we talked about the cast, how even like the kid here that loses and he's like, this game sucks. Like he, even him, like he's like not like a throwaway performance. Like even he was great. I was like, hey, for all of, you know, two minutes that he's on screen. I'm like, hey, this guy's doing A-OK work over here. Yeah, totally agree. One of the him, this, one of the soldiers proclaims that the game sucks when he loses all of his cigarettes. That guy. I like that guy. Uh, he then gets up from the table and sees the same Neb soldier from the intro approaching the front gates of the base. The lieutenant, the one you mentioned earlier, that you, the, the female lieutenant, um, I cannot pronounce her last name, so <laughs> you I'm know. not going to pronounce it again. But yeah. I will also say she was in Scanners Three, and I actually like the Scanners franchise. Uh, and actually, the we I think we forgot to mention the director directed Scanners Three. Oh, well, there you go. He's yeah. done. Yeah, she's actually been in a few of his movies, so they have some sort of relationship. <clears throat> Maybe. 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 Friends. Friends. The lieutenant is about to snipe the Neb soldier when she realizes something's wrong. He's alone. We cut to the outside of the base and see the Neb soldier cautiously approach the base. Just then, little things in the sand start screaming and moving towards the Neb uh, soldier. The screams, you can tell, clearly disorient him. 
he tries to shoot the screamers, but there are too many. He kind of like sort of not relents, but I think he knows what's going to happen. And he, he yeah. holds the cylinder that he's that he has in his hand, which we know later is he's meant to deliver, essentially. And he's like standing there and he just raises it above his head and he just screams, you know, because basically just look at this like this is it, you know, because he knows he's about to die. Of course, as he does that, a screamer launches out of the ground and cuts his hand, actually cuts his whole arm right off, lands on the ground with the cylinder still in its hand. Another screamer then flies in and cuts off his leg, and he starts, like, kind of crawling back, and then, boom, one just goes right into his face, finishes the job. The Alliance guards are clearly disturbed by what they see. The one kid that lost the cigarettes, he throws up. We see that the lieutenant, the female lieutenant, she's kind of like, you know, her eyes are teary. Uh, you know, I mean, man, you just saw someone just get eviscerated. Like, I don't think you, I don't think you, I don't think you should ever think that that's normal. Like, you should never get used to the sight of that as a soldier, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. I wish the dude throwing up would have found a can, though. Because <laughs> he was sitting, it was like right next to it. looked like a, that they had, they were sitting on trash cans but turned upside down, and he went right yeah. past it. I was like, oh, should have just flipped the damn, uh... <laughs> I know. Come on, I'm dude. with you. I, I noticed that as well. Because <laughs> my first thought was like, man, you're going to have to clean that up, bro. Right. Um... <laughs> uh, one guard says, uh, glad they're on our side, referring to the screamers. And uh, the, the female lieutenant says, and our side's the good side, right? You know, the, this movie starts out right away with you sort of questioning which side is right and which side is wrong. Uh, Chuck, our, our boy Chuck that we love, he walks in, and he's, he's Hendrickson's uh, second-in-command. Peter Weller's Joe Hendrickson, he's his second-in-command. He walks in and says, without the screamers, we'd have lost the war. Uh, they appraise Chuck of the situation. Uh, the, the lieutenant says that the Neb soldier had something in his hands he wanted to show us. So Chuck decides to leave the base and retrieve the metal cylinder. Outside of the base, Chuck cautiously makes his way to the Neb body. He checks the device on his wrist to make sure that the lights on it are green. We'll learn more about that in a bit, but it's called, it's their tab, and it's what masks them from the Screamers. Uh, I like the fact that even the Alliance people are, like, scared of the Screamers, too, you know? Yeah, me too. We see the occasional Screamer uh, scurry by under the sand. Uh, when Chuck gets to the Neb body, a Screamer drags the severed leg under the sand, and Chuck looks shocked at this. Uh, the Neb's upper body then gets dragged under, and he's like, oh, shit. Then he sees the hand with the cylinder sort of starting to get dragged under, and he shoots that screamer first before he can, and he walks over and grabs the cylinder. Uh, Chuck's, Chuck looks at the metal cylinder, and it says, crucial to Alliance Command on the outside. I I appreciate the—I um, I know probably it was more of a budgetary thing, the, the fact that they didn't have a whole lot of gore in the scene— but it's cool, like the body parts and getting sucked under. It's cool looking. Yeah, and I mean, you can see like his body with his head like fucked up for a brief second, and you know, and sometimes it's there in the background, and I like that. I I'd like it's the you know the viewer fills in the blanks, you know. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Uh, and there's another scene later with all the Davids, uh, it, not the one where they're all coming out of the base. That was pretty bad. But when they're chasing Kinderwell through the base. And you kind of yeah. only see their shadows. I thought that was a great uh, job with like budget constraints as well. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I think this that... director really handles his low budget very, very well. Agreed. Cut to Commander Hendrickson's office. 
Hendrickson is listening to Mozart and looking at a Roman coin through a magnifying glass. Chuck enters with the cylinder. Chuck says, we haven't seen a Neb soldier in six months. Why does a solitary grunt stumble into our yard, get shredded by a screamer trying to hand deliver this? He throws Hendrix the cylinder. Uh, it was a good throw. He catches it, too. Yeah. Hendrix looks at the cylinder and tries to open it. He's like, he can't figure it out. And even Chuck's like, yeah, I couldn't get it to open either. Uh, and he's about to smash it over the table. And Chuck's like, no. <laughs> and I like how Joe's like, ah, I got you, didn't I? Already, you can tell they have this great camaraderie between each other. Yeah, this this is the difference between what happens kind of later in the movie where the, the, the silly banter with, with the two of them, it makes sense because they they clearly have a relationship. Exactly, yeah. As he's saying, like, scared you, didn't I? The cylinder actually pops open and, like, vomits its contents into the air and fucking Hendrickson uh, catches it in midair. Even, like, Peter Weller looks shocked at that. He was like, oh, <laughs> you know? Uh, it was great. It was great. Um, the two pieces of that, that kind of came out of it was this giant data stick thing. Uh, I don't really know how that works. And then this, like, thin piece of metal that's wrapped up, and we'll, we'll find out that in a second. Hendrickson puts this weird giant data stick under a micros uh, a microscope, and yeah. then it, it's it's weird tech, guys. I mean, it's like super crazy tech in 1995, you know. Whereas nowadays, that would have just been on a USB drive. Yeah, I feel like they're they're trying to make it unique and special yeah. in some way. It, it's a it, it, it. Some could say it's a little overdone. I think it's it's cool that they tried to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you watch Blade Runner. I feel like it's a Philip K. Dick thing to have weird technology that just looks super odd and then does does something that, like, you can do easily yourself, but yet you have this yeah. giant elaborate technology to do it. Totally. Hendrickson reads what's on the data stick. It says, From Marshal Richard Cooper, 5th Neb Army Forward Command, to Joseph Hendrickson, matters of extreme urgency, demand immediate imperative peace negotiation, Request two officers, highest priority. Safe passage guaranteed. We await your arrival ASAP. Chuck says this could be what they're waiting for. Joe says, and what have we been waiting for, Chuck? Hendrickson thinks this is another bullshit tactic to get them to lower their guard. Hendrickson tells, you know, I'm just going to call him Joe from now on. Yep. I call him Joe, like, on the third page, and I just call him Joe from going forward. So just know that I'm going to refer to Pierre Wells' character as Joe. And then moving forward, they kind of do as well. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So Joe tells the communications officer to transmit a message to Alliance Command in San Francisco and request an immediate reply. Neb Army wants to open peace negotiations. Please advise. The comms officer sends the message, then says they picked up a message a message on the emergency broadband, uh, commercial transport is requesting permission to land. Joe says, uh, commercial transport? He's like, we're 5 million miles off the shipping shipping lanes. He asks what their emergency is, but she doesn't know. He tells her to find out. Uh, Chuck takes the metal sheet with some of the design. It's like, so, so ch- this metal sheet looks like it's got things carved into it. But what it technically is is just a giant floppy disk. So he scans it in, and what it does is it's it's almost like a just it has data on it, and it basically is a readout of the Neb command forward command base. I mean everything. Even even Chuck is like you know th- this is too detailed you know to be fake you know. Um, but but why send a lone soldier? They don't know. 
Joe and Chuck now go. So this is the one scene that I felt was done for filmatic purposes and not for the, 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 the world of the movie. So Joe and Chuck meet with secretary green. They're all standing in their, their main communications office. And he comes walking through the front door. You don't, so you don't know that he's a hologram at all. Uh, green tells them that the Alliance, and and then by the way, this is general Riken. Green tells them that the Alliance HQ uh, and the Neb Corporation are working on an armistice. Beridium has been found on Triton 4 with no evidence of radiation. They're on the verge of signing a peace agreement that would also renew contracts with the new economic block to mine the Beridium on Triton 4. Green tells them to make no contact with the Nebs on Sirius 6B, as this might jeopardize the armistice talks. There, so we get this little reveal that that Secretary Green is a hologram, and you know they they eventually finish the conversation, and then Secretary Green you know disappears. So my whole thing, this movie is so well constructed. Everything yeah. really does make sense, except for this yeah. one part because they know he's a hologram. Why would they do the pomp and circumstance of having him walk through the front door? You can tell that that was just for an aha moment for the viewing audience. And I just felt like it was just not something they would have done in that world. No, totally. And and, and later on when they're like, why do we see the hologram? And they're like, wow, it must have been somebody, you know, anything could have been manipulated. Yeah. Like, well, but who, but wait, who's sending this message then? Well, I mean, besides the fact, you know, the fact that they are aware that it's a hologram, the aware that, you know, you could sort of do anything with the holograms, yeah. You, again, wouldn't do the pomp and circumstance of having the door open, you know? Yeah. Like, and besides, those doors are automated. It wouldn't even know how to open because it wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, that's just light coming through. So Yeah, exactly. Again, that was literally my only problem because the first time I watched it, you're like, okay, that's cute and clever. And then the second and third time you watch it, you're like, wait a minute, that actually doesn't make any sense. Well, again, I, again, and I also feel like, you know, the conversation with Chuck and Joe in, in the – in, in his office went a little long and there's like moments in the movie where I'm like, yeah, you could have fixed this and fixed that. But again, low budge film gets a pass. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. I, I think, I think some scenes do go a little bit long a smidge, but it's interesting because you're enjoying the actors, you know? So it's, yeah. it's fun, but yeah, it could have probably, I mean, honestly, this movie was an hour and 48 minutes. You might've been able to trim eight minutes at least, you know? Oh, clearly. I think it would have been tighter. At 140, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, you can cut out 30 seconds of uh, of General Riken walking through the door right there. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe and Chuck are now grabbing some food and drinks while they're talking about the situation. Chuck says the Nebs are businessmen. They aren't going to ask for a ceasefire unless it's in their interest. And now they've discovered Beridium on Triton 4. It's in their interest. Thank God for Green, though. Uh, Joe says he has faith in Green. He's a good man. If it wasn't for Green, the Alliance and the Nebs would have started a shooting war on Earth a long time ago. Although Joe's does say that that might have done some good for them to have all those people roll around in the, in the dirt and the muck. You know, it, it might have actually ended things a bit earlier. You know, uh, Chuck says uh, we were all Nebs once. Chuck and Joe walk into the bar, start talking. Uh, Talking about what their future holds and and then, you know, reminiscing about the past. I didn't track the conversation because honestly, it it, it it's it's your typical backstory talk 
to kind of make make you connect to the characters. And it's fine. Nothing wrong with it, but really nothing to do with the plot at all. No. There is an announcement over the intercom that a radiation storm is approaching and everyone takes out these red color cigarettes and starts smoking them. Uh, we find out later that they uh, kind of counteract the effects of the radiation in the air. Uh, just then, a loud crash and explosion from outside. And the announcement says, emergency, everyone to their stations. And then everyone goes running. Outside the Alliance base, a spaceship has crashed pretty much on their front yard. Uh, everyone is running out. Everyone's putting out the fires. Uh, people are looking for survivors. People are calling out. Uh, you can hear people talking about, you know, uh, get some tabs out here. Uh, again, those are the, the, the wrist things that stop the screamers from attacking you. So, you know, I, I like the fact that, that the writing remembers to have people, like, say something like that, you know. Uh, Hendrickson is Joe. I should say Joe is looking at the bodies in the wreckage. He says, these people are civilians. He goes, uh, uh, someone says to him, no, sir, it looks like a troop transport. All ours. And he's confused. Uh, they do find one survivor among the wreckage, uh, and they have to cut him out. That's going to be Private Jefferson that we know and love. Um, outside the wreckage, Joe sees the name on the ship's wing. It says, Sirius 6B Transportation. And he, then he yells, We got no goddamn transportation service on this planet? This is asinine, Chuck. What is this? You know, I mean, it's very confusing right now. So Chuck pulls him, pulls Joe aside to a different part of the wreckage and shows him a cache of weapons. Clearly, they're newer because Joe's, like, looking at the guns, like, what the fuck is this? They also find a nuclear reactor in the ship. Uh, Joe says, what is happening here? Uh, they finally get the one guy cut out of the ship's wreckage and try to quickly escort him away from the ship. Like, they're like, you know, they're trying to get him out of there because they know what's coming. But clearly he doesn't, you know, because they know he doesn't have the anti-screamer tab on. Yeah. Um, of course, <laughs> the grunt doesn't know about the screamers and says he has to get something that from the wreckage. Um, he breaks free from them, runs back in for his futuristic Walkman. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Uh, and then he sees... Like, one of the dead bodies starts getting sucked down into the sand, and, like, the whole fuselage is shaking, and, like, it's just all kinds of craziness is fucking happening. And he's like, what? You can tell he's like, what the fuck is going on? So he he kind of goes, uh, uh, runs back out of the ship, and as he does that, a screamer jumps out of the ground. It's about to fucking hit him square in the face, but our man Peter Weller pops that motherfucker midair. Gage. Boom. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking Back. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Inside Joe's office, uh, he's examining the screamer that he shot. Uh, It has a chip in it that says Alliance Department of Defense Autonomous Mobile Sword, which is identical to another chip he has. But when he flips this new one over, it says Revised on the back. Just then, the grunt, who we find out is Private Michael Jefferson, is escorted in. Joe asks how how he's doing, and he says he'll have one mother of a scar in his arm. Uh, but Joe says if he goes outside without a tab, he won't have an arm, period. Jefferson asks what those things are that try to kill him. Joe says, it's a sword, Jefferson. Take a look. It's called a screamer, designed by Alliance HQ on Earth to neutralize the ground war on Sirius 6B. Jefferson asks if it's dead. Joe says it is without the chip, but then Jefferson tries to touch it and almost fucking loses his fucking finger. By the way, that always <laughs> makes me jump. That, that little scene always makes me fucking jump. Anything with getting your fingers cut off, it always freaks me out. Yes, it does. Uh, Joe says the CPU is dead, but it still has mechanical surface reflexes. Uh, Joe runs a diagnostic on the Screamer's chip, and, he's, and this one seems to have modified itself. Jefferson asks about the other men on the ship, and Joe says he's the only survivor. Uh, Joe asks what the hell Jefferson is doing on Series 6B, just as Chuck walks in. Chuck says there was a nuclear reactor on the ship programmed for weapons manufacturing. Chuck also says the shuttle identified itself as a a civilian transport. Jefferson is sort of shocked by both of these things. He doesn't have an answer for them. Joe asks where they were bound. Jefferson says Triton 4. Chuck asks, why in the world will you be going there with a nuclear reactor and a cargo full of weapons? Jefferson says, to invade, attack, and extinguish the enemy. Like he's like, you know, very gung-ho about it. Um, Joe asks, what enemy? Jefferson says, the new economic block. He says that they are just... He says that they are just a task force and there are 4,000 Alliance regulars on their way to Triton Ford now. I mean, at this point, Chuck and, and Joe are like, what the fuck? fuck is happening you know considering yeah. what the conversation they had with secretary green you know right exactly so this is i mean this is very intriguing right out of the gate uh jefferson says beridium was discovered on triton four joe says they're aware of that secretary green told them that and then he gets cut off jefferson cuts him off and says secretary green's been gone for two years he was arrested and eliminated by alliance command Joe and Chuck look shaken at this point, and Joe dismisses Jefferson. Joe asks Chuck, what are we doing here? Chuck says, we just saw Green on the VR. But Joe says, Joe says, That's, we saw bullshit. Alliance can send anything as VR. I like how he says, they, they can do a dog and pony show as, as VR, you know? It doesn't matter. It, it, yeah, when he says that, though, they, they kind of dismiss it so quickly. That That's when I'm like, you're not really explaining why they got that to begin with. And I agree with you. It's actually something I would really have liked to have had explained. You know, how, like, how? Like, so I, yeah, I mean, yeah, and why and, like, who sent it and all. Yeah, I, I would like to know the backstory on that. They could have e- easily had said, you know, there there's a radical um, 
there's a radical faction in the faction alliance. Yeah. That's trying to, you know, discredit the alliance or whatever. Yeah. 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 That, that, that was something that, yeah, I do wish I, I knew the backstory to that and, and who sent it, but okay. But Hey, it's I one guess. of those things where it's like, well, well, the audience will forget about that in a minute because we're going to get to some good stuff soon. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the point guys. That's not the point. Look, honey, look, I, I love you. Yeah, I, I cheated on you three nights ago, but I, I love you. Now. And can we just get into the love part? Wait, yeah. what did you say? Oh, I forgot because you said you love me. <laughs> good. You had a good analogy, bud. That was a good one. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I, I do like what Chuck says here because, well, why do they keep sending us provisions, you know? Like, what is happening? But, like, like now uh, uh, Joe is piecing it all together uh, because uh, Chuck says, are they waiting for us to grow old up here and die so they can keep running the universe? Joe, tell, Joe yells at Chuck to wake up, wake up, man. We're stranded here. We've been beached. You know, I mean, again, he, Peter Weller, man, it just his voice. I just I love hearing it. Uh, Joe sees the big picture. He goes, they, they basically they can't cut them off because too many families on Earth would be upset, um, you know, and, and, and they can't bring them home because they would talk about what they've seen up here. Uh, then no, basically because then no one would fight their wars for them. So now he understands why the Nebs reached out to, to them. They knew what the, this, this whole war was pointless. They had the information first and yeah, they're all stranded on this planet essentially. Yep. Joe says he's going to Neb command to make peace. He says, if Alliance wants a shooting war, fine, but they already had theirs. We'll make our own goddamn peace right here. Chuck says they requested two people. Joe tells Chuck to watch over the base without him. He'll take Jefferson. He's not getting any more of his people killed. Next scene, Chuck is fitting Jefferson with a tab. He says it won't work for anyone but him. Screamers attack living things by reading their pulse rate, and the tab masks it. In theory, <laughs> it works, but the radiation can cause, can cause interference with the signal. Uh, Jefferson asks what what they do if it stops working. Joe says, be glad you have a level six gunnery rating. Essentially, you're just going to have to shoot him. Right. Front door of the base opens. Joe, Chuck, and Jefferson sort of walk out, and we see the smoldering records of the ship from last night. Joe and Chuck have a moment reminiscing about a day at the beach. It, actually, I like the conversation. I didn't track it because it has no relevance to the to the movie, but, you know, I like these character moments, you know, this little conversation here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, it's like these are things they could have shaved off, but it still does, doesn't hold the movie back. No, you're right. Like, this is that, that extra, like, eight minutes or so. Like, yeah, they could have shaved this conversation, but I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. Especially for what happens later. I like having, I like knowing the connection of Chuck and, and Joe. It's going to give the, the climax a bit of a punch, you know? Exactly, yeah. You know, so, but yeah, th this conversation is a typical, it's the typical, these guys don't know it, but they aren't going to ever see each other again moment. That That's what I tracked it as. Uh, Jefferson puts on his headphones, and uh, he rescued from the crash, and he and Joe start walking away from the base. When they get to the top of the hill, Joe radios Chuck and tells him, you know, that he'll be, you know, basically what his call schedule will be and everything. And then he says, uh, you know, Chuck, if you haven't heard from me, and you know, first time, don't worry about it. Second time, just, 
<laughs> he basically just says, move into my office and change the music. Basically, don't come looking for me if, if I don't hit my, my radio uh, uh, call-in checkpoints. You know, I'm, we're dead and just move on. And he even says, just carry on. As Joe and Jefferson are walking, uh, uh, Jefferson says, the air is terrible. Joe says it's not the air, it's what's in it, radiation. He pulls out one of his red cigarettes and hands it to, to Jefferson, too. Says it's the only thing that neutralizes it. Uh, they look out over a ruined factory, and Jefferson asks if this was what caused it. Joe sort of rehashes. Sadly, it kind of happens multiple times. Joe sort of says what we already saw in the opening crawl multiple yeah. times when they're walking here. And it, it just I think it just tells me that, you know, they filmed this whole movie without probably the idea of having an opening crawl. And then was like, I would imagine the producer or somebody's like, eh, just put an opening crawl at the beginning to kind of consolidate all this information. Right. Right. And, and maybe then this is the conversations we could actually cut from from the movie. So is this before the song plays? No. So. So, yeah, please mention the song. The, the one piece of like music that's in this movie that Jefferson is listening to. It's got awful. I'm sorry. Like, it's so bad. It, it's it's like a generic version of Motown meets the Pointer Sisters kind of. I get I get what they're trying to do. But I'm just like, oh, this is not working for me. You know, he he puts his, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, he puts his like headphones on and he's rocking out to it. And you're like, but there's no context there. It just doesn't work for me. You know, this guy just survived his in, this plane crash, right? <laughs> You'd think he'd be. I know he's like supposed to be a soldier, but he's. But he's still got to be shaken up a little bit that he survived and sees all this shit. And he's like, I'm going to put some, I'm going to put a little ditty on and rock out to it. Do, 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 do. I don't even, the, the, the song was so forgettable to me. I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, okay, fine. I mean, just, it's just that this is like one of two scenes in this movie that just didn't work for me. Two or three scenes. And it's funny because it's. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, and, and and that does it well. Like that does this whole thing where you take like Motown. Maybe they stole that from this. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like like the idea of like listening to like you know some fun old like Motown type of music, but in a sci-fi setting, you know. And yeah, yeah Guardians of the Galaxy did it right. Then, but this was like twenty years prior, you know, which is which is impressive. Yeah, I mean, it, it just. The execution overall didn't work for me. Yeah. It, you know, it again, it doesn't drag the movie down right. at all. Right. But I'm just like, next, yeah. skip this part. And and obviously, guys and gals, you've listened to a bunch of our, our shows already. You know that we can point out shit that, that doesn't make sense or, or, or is not great, and yet we can still love the hell out of the movie. And sometimes mm. it's the shit that's not great is what makes us love the movie, although this is yeah. not one of those cases. No. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me want to chew on a shoelace. <laughs> yeah, now that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's totally fine. <laughs> but now I will say, um, you know, the opposite side of that, you know, you have Joe and Jefferson looking out over this, you know, composite matte screening thing. And for budget wise, I think all the, the composites in the matte screens look great in this movie. Oh, they do look great. I, I I will point out one more thing. It is kind of funny that they walk only about thirty feet and then they they stop for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, didn't you guys? You guys just left. Well, the air quality's bad, bro. <laughs> Jesus, it's gonna take you forever, suck. then, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's gonna take them like days, but really, the whole place is like only just a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Bill Murray doing one push up in stripes. Yeah, like, how exactly. long is it gonna take you to do one, dude? I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. Uh, so they look over the, that ruined factory, like I was saying. Um, and uh, I do like how I do like how Jefferson asks if the if the red cigarette is working, and Joe just says, "Or how did?" I like how Jefferson asks how you know that the red cigarette is working. Joe says, "You don't die." Uh, and they just yeah, keep walking. <laughs> and, and here's a cool thing: uh, it happens a couple times in the movie. Um, there's little just throwaway shots of a screamer just moving under the the sand or the snow, and I love, I love that, that shit. I love that. That is so smart. It's so smart because it reminds you that these things are everywhere. Everywhere. And that's fucking terrifying, dude. Yep. Uh, they keep walking, um, and we see this a futuristic city completely destroyed. Uh, Jefferson asks what happened. Joe says that the Nebs nuked it, civilians and all. The bombs were aimed at them. The civilians were just in the way. Jefferson doesn't understand what's happening, but Joe gets in his face and tells him that even though Jefferson signed up to kill Nebs, they're going to walk over there and make peace with them, and he will be robbed of that experience. Now, that was cool dialogue. I like that one where he says, and you will, I, like, it, he says it much better than I, I kind of condensed the conversation, but Peter Weller, yeah. he, you know, it's Peter fucking Weller. He's delivering these awesome lines. This one I like. I like when he says, you'll be robbed of that experience. Yeah, I do too. It's good. As they walk through the bombed-out city, Joe keeps talking about what happened. He goes, I came here 20 years ago to take Berenium out of the ground for the new economic block. Hell, we were all nebs then, which is what Chuck said earlier. The miners and the scientists found radiation coming out of the ground and refused to work it and shut down the mines. The Neb Corporation threatened armed force to reopen, so there was a standoff for about four years. And then they started raining hell down on us. We were decimated. Civilian survivors were evacuated, and we've held up in the bunkers ever since. Jefferson asks how they fought back. Joe says they reinvented man's first modern weapon, the sword. The autonomous mobile sword, the screamer. Just then, a screamer attacks a rat, and Jefferson kind of shoots at it. Jefferson asks if they eat the rat. Joe says he doesn't know. Uh, he says they're, they're scavengers and use everything. He goes, hell, I don't know. Maybe eyeball juice makes handy blade cleaner. You know, Jefferson just keeps he keeps prying. He asks if they're alive, but, you know, and he still doesn't understand. I like how Joe's like, look, man, you can ask all the questions you want. I got no answers for you. And I like this because, dude, like, if you and I were in command, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, why, why would he know? Like how these yeah. things worked. He's he's not a scientist. He didn't develop them. No, no. But I think there's also this idea of like, well, who created these things? You know. And yeah. Jefferson asks where are they coming from, and Joe says underground. The design was sent to them from Earth five years ago. It's and it's all automated now. No one's been down there since they pushed the first button and ran like hell. They're making themselves now. And Jefferson's just like kind of shook by this. And actually, again, this this is all the stuff, uh, you know, talking about it kind of fuels back into my desire for like uh, bigger stories because and you mentioning I didn't even think about it, but like you mentioned like, so who sent them that message like uh, from general uh, from Secretary Green on Earth? Who sent them that hologram? Then I'm going to say who sent them the the screamer details like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of trust placed in Alliance headquarters and maybe we sh they shouldn't have essentially right yeah yeah was this all, the whole thing sabotaged right. or what 
Right, like, like, or the screener, like, is this a, a part of their design that the person, that the people designed for them to, for screamers to basically upgrade and eventually take over the world? Like, yeah. like, is that a part of the original design? I kind of want to know who's running shit at the Alliance headquarters. Robot. <laughs> Robot General Riken. <laughs> Robot Riken. Robot Riken. Joe and Jefferson hear noise coming from one of the blown-out uh, buildings and duck for cover and aim their weapons. Just then, a little kid walks out and says, Can I come with you? Can I come with you? Can I come with you? <laughs> Joe goes up to the kid while Jefferson covers him. Uh, the kid looks about 10 years old, and he's holding a teddy bear. Joe asks where the kid lives. The kid says he lives in the abandoned buildings. Joe asks how the kid stays away from the screamers, and the kid says he hides. Then repeats, Can I come with you? Joe tells the kid to stay here, uh, and they'll come back from later. Uh, but Jefferson wants to take the kid with him, and Joe finally relents. Cut to a scene of Joe, Jefferson, and the kid sitting around a makeshift fire in an abandoned building. Joe asks what the kid's name is, and he says, David Edward Deering. <laughs> Jefferson comes back from patrol and asks uh, if the fire's safe. Joe reminds him that they, they want the nebs to know they're coming. Uh, Jefferson starts telling a story about how to properly cook rats and Joe cuts him off by saying, you must confuse me with someone who gives a shit, which is yeah, such like that. a, such a stereotypical line. But when Peter Weller delivers it, it's fucking gold. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause yeah, it is gold. And I'm like, wait, what you're having, you're telling him how to cook a rat properly. <laughs> I, I Come know. on that, that dude. No, 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 no. You know, I was listening to the Howard Stern show the other day and this guy was like, the guy on the show is like, yeah, we cook we cook squirrel all the time. My daddy made it one time with me. He'd all, he, he didn't really season it. And Howard Stern's like, you don't season a squirrel. A squirrel is a rat with a bushy tail. It's a rodent. Like, <laughs> you, you just don't eat them. Yeah, if you're, if you're eating it, it's out of desperation. <laughs> it is. You don't have to, like, there isn't a way you make it properly. You just eat it. <laughs> this is no man true (laughs) yeah you just eat it you just well i gotta put some paprika on it no 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 no. there's 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 no garlic salt that's gonna make this thing taste better no you you begrudgingly eat it for survival and sustenance yes (laughs) and you, you just eat it you know how you eat it you fast and quickly like no fast fast that's it just one gulp just get it in my mouth (laughs) i need the nutrients like a v alien just open uninjured jaw (laughs) (laughs) man if we ever did shows i on this like like full shows like we do movies i would do v in a heartbeat but that'll never happen i love that show back in the day yeah me too I, i i i there's a there's a there's a dude that i did an interview with um who does an adventure team or sorry Venture Brothers mm. podcast, and uh, and he breaks down every episode of the Venture Brothers. Oh, like cool! That. I used to watch the shit out of that show. Oh, sure. Well, I'll have to you know, I uh, I shouted you out and I showed a, shouted Dustin out, so I'll, I'll I'll hook you guys up because I think you really like being on the show. Nice, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Pretty, uh, really cool. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, go Venture Team. Go Vin. Yeah, anyway. love that shit. Uh, Joe kind of picks up a rock next to him, uses that as as a sort of like a weight kind of thing not quite sure why but you know we'll get to that in a second uh he calls chuck to report in he tells chuck they should reach the neb command in about four hours there's a lot of interference but we do hear chuck say we got a new arrival came in yesterday 
then like he says, he seems a little strange. It's okay. Jefferson kind of can't reply or, or, you know, uh, joke. He's trying to reply, but again, the, 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 the radiation, uh, Jefferson hands David some water, but David doesn't take it. Joe hangs up with Chuck and he's like holding the rock in his hand. And then the rock springs like a bunch of legs and turns into yeah. a spider. Joe screams and screams like, I love the fact that Peter Weller's ah! like, that's how yeah. I, I scream when I get, I get scared by the way. I'm a screamer <laughs> when I'm, when I'm scared. Um, I'm and sure I love how he throws it. And I, this scene, I remembered even when I was a kid and he goes, if you're going to be a rock, be a rock, not a bug. Yeah. And to this day, I have like seen, you know, like whenever I see like an insect that that like you know looks like a leaf or something like that, you know, even if it's just a picture, you know, I always think if you're gonna be a leaf, be a leaf, not a bug. Like <laughs> I always fucking remember this. It's great. It's it's a, such a random scene because it's the only time you see like a bug, an alternative to what's on the planet. Because you see rats, but this is the only time you see something like alien. Yeah, it makes leads me to believe that rats were brought over in the ship. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I literally thought I was like, oh, I bet we're going to fucking when we start colonizing the galaxy, we're probably going to bring rats with us because they'll just be on ships and everything. Yep, we're going to be rat bring rats, gnats and mosquitoes. Yep. Like three of the most fucking annoying things on the planet. And and all of our our smallpoxes and diseases. Yep. Yep. In COVID. Universe, look out. Here we come. They they come bearing peace. <clears throat> why why are they coughing? I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. Two days later. I'm dying. God damn it, humans with your COVID. God Wear damn a it. fucking mask. <laughs> um, we we get a America. Sorry. We get a slight time jump here. <laughs> They're still in the same location, but uh, David's like asleep next to Joe's legs. Joe is weirdly talking to the teddy bear. But because yeah. the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, he's probably just talking to, to David. You know, no, David's no. David's asleep as far as Joe knows. Yep. And, I, and I watched it with subtitles on. Joe's talking to the teddy bear saying, I used to have a teddy bear like you when I was a kid. D- did that like. Was that weird to you at all? Yeah, it's weird. It's it's totally weird. Uh, well, you know, he, when he talks about how he's got no family, no friends, maybe this is why. <laughs> maybe. Maybe his only <laughs> friends are fucking teddy bears. They can fucking you know, talk to inanimate objects. I used to have a teddy bear when I was a kid. Then I did things to it. Strange things. <laughs> things that people thought were abnormal, but I didn't think it were. Teddy Ruxpin's got a cassette player that you stick things in. Why can't you stick other things in there? <laughs> Just stuck my finger in his mouth. Why did he like that? Gross. Fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I sticking his finger in his mouth. That's what got me. Because it's what gross, got me. dude. That's so gross. Because it is gross. <laughs> You killed me on that one. I was like, I was like, yeah, where's this going? Yeah, that's where it went. <laughs> oh, good one, buddy. Good one. Did oh. someone say Monchi Chi? No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I gotta try to read this through uh, through my tears. Um, 
<laughs> All right, so yeah, so, Jeff- so Jefferson's, he's laying on the ground with his headphones on and like these big sunglasses, like clearly like, you know, you know, those insane like mid 90s Oakleys, you know, like like ski glasses and they got the most insanely big ones that they could get. I mean, they're pretty badass. I yeah. like them. Yeah. I no, like, I, this is definitely dates them, but I like it. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, but it definitely dates it, though. Um, so he's laying on the ground. He's, he can't hear anything because he's got his headphones on and everything. Uh, we also see that Jefferson's tab is not attached to him. It's next to him. It's not on his wrist anymore. And it goes from red to green. And then we see a screamer start closing in. Joe's Joe sees the screamer obviously and he kind of looks down at his tab sees that it's green he looks over and sees that Jefferson's tab next next to him is red the screamer starts screaming and you know shoots up to attack and who can't Jefferson who can't hear it with his headphones on uh, but of course Joe shoots it in time um, then Jefferson kind of like you know maneuvers closer to Joe and another one comes in for an attack and this is cool this is cool in the POV It's really quick, but in the POV, you see Jefferson and Joe, they have have full body signatures, and you can see an outline of David behind him. He's totally dark because he's got no heat whatsoever. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even pick up on that. I did not pick up on that on the first time I was watching it either, but it's very, you can see it the, the second time. I will say, this is one of those movies that actually holds up well in repeat viewing because there are clues that you can see, you know, and obviously a lot of them you pick up later, but there are some yeah. subtle ones that you don't really see the first time. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, of course, uh, you know, as that one's about to attack, uh, you know, uh, Joe destroys that one, too. Uh, Joe, you know, now he's pissed off. He grabs the the headphones and glasses from Jefferson and he kind of like puts them on and looks into them. And you now you see what Jefferson's been looking at the whole time. And basically it's a fucking like, it's a music video with a naked lady, but it's like a VR thing. It's, it's fucking wild, but Hey, they threw some nudity in. So good job. Well, it's again, he's such an interesting character because, um, He's a noob. He's such a dimwit, like in the in the first arc of his character, but eventually he becomes more kind of, you know, he grows on you in a good way. Yeah, I didn't dislike these moments. I think they're really entertaining. I thought the, you know, that one specifically because you're like, but but dude, you're in the desert. These things can crawl out of nowhere and get you. I wouldn't be laying down on the ground. Yeah, I I don't think that I could fucking like you know even if I thought. That the that I was completely covered by the tab, like no yeah. problems. I don't yeah. think I could let my guard down that much. Like especially nope. since he's new to that planet. Like if anybody, like you would think like someone like Joe would because he's used to it. But you know, like no, yeah. Even every time I watch this, I'm like, yeah, Jefferson, you're kind of a fucking knob for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. For real. Yeah. Uh, of course, Joe fucking smashes that shit. And Jefferson's like, ah, yeah, that costs a lot of money. He's like, it's going to get you killed. Um, <laughs> Joe then examines uh, the screamer, and it looks different than the others. It looks more animal-like. Uh, Joe takes out a chip, and it also yeah. looks different than the ones that we've seen. Uh, Joe says, um, not an animal, an upgrade. Oh, I think someone asks, well, is it an animal? I think David might have asked if it was an animal. He goes, not an animal, an upgrade. Yeah, David asked. Well, because he's still trying to keep up with his uh, his facade, you know. True. Yeah. True. And they, and you know, I kind of also think maybe they they I wouldn't be surprised because David didn't know what a screamer was at first either. They might 
like keep his programming limited to keep him believable. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thought. We won't be with David for much longer. <laughs> well, that version. Uh, now we see a few scenes of Joe and Jefferson and David sort of trekking their way through a snowy wasteland. Uh, every scene, Jefferson keeps talking, uh, you know, until until Joe eventually tells him to shut the fuck up, essentially. Um, <laughs> as the three of them are crossing an open field, we now see two Neb soldiers watching them from a large tunnel on the side of a mountain. Cut to Joe, and he's scanning the mountain ahead of him with his binoculars, and we see two of two, like basically two similar openings, um, but one has a giant rotating fan, and the other one doesn't. And we know that the one without the fan is the one that the Neb soldiers are at. Uh, the three of them start walking towards the one where the fan is cut off. This blew my wife away, by the way. So the three of them are walking with uh, David in the middle of them. And fucking all of a sudden, the Neb soldier snipes fucking David, sending him flying back. Yeah, like so it's great. it's awesome. And the first thing I think of, are were you ever a big train spotting fan at all? No, no, no. I mean, I uh, to be honest with you, I've only I've I've never seen it all the way through. I turned it off after he shit the bed. I'm like, at the time, I was like grossed out by it, and I turned it off. <laughs> well, there's a scene where the Robert Carlyle's character throws a beer bottle o- over his head, and it lands in the bar below, hits some lady, and starts a fight. But he, but fucking Robert Carlyle says that last got blasted, and every and when I saw David get blown away, I said that last got blasted. <laughs> And he goes flying back like 20 feet. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's great. But, yeah, my wife was like, holy shit, they just killed a kid. Or did they? (laughs) There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, Jefferson falls falls down and starts returning fire. Uh, Joe crawls over to David, but he sees inside David nothing but gears. No guts or nothing. It's gears and springs and wires. He's a robot. Joe calls for Jefferson to come over, and he says, he's a goddamn screamer. Joe starts freaking out. It could see us, touch us. Why didn't he attack us? He then pops out David's chip, and it looks different, too. Just then, David comes back to life and starts screaming and grabs Jefferson's gun and starts screaming. Kind of bends the, the muzzle of his gun down a yeah. little bit, and then he, Jefferson shoots and kills it. What's hilarious about that is the rest of the, the the rest of the time he has that gun, it's all bent. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> As Jefferson and Joe are looking over David, the two Neb soldiers walk up to them, and they all have their guns drawn. Joe asks why it didn't try to kill them. The Neb soldier Becker says it was tagging them, and Becker is uh, Roy Deboy. Uh, it was it was uh, tagging them. Uh, they tag along with squ- squads on patrol. And that's how they get into the the Neb bunkers. Neb soldier Ross, our buddy uh, Charles Edwin Powell, walks up and says, that's when the killing starts. Then he says, but you know that already. You sent them. Joe says, it found us. Becker asks why they're out here. Joe says they were invited. A request for a peace negotiation from Marshal Richard Cooper. Becker says, you want to negotiate? We ain't going to do it out here and leads them back to the opening with the fan that doesn't work. 
as they are going through the opening, Becker kind of takes out his knife in the fan, and the fan starts rotating again. And then they all walk into the sewer piping and kind of go down a hatch. Joe Jefferson, Becker, and Ross descend into underground bunker. Joe tries to tell Chuck about David, the David-type screamer, but he can't, he can't really get through to him. Jefferson takes off his helmet and starts asking about the new screamer type. He was talking, man. How did he know what to say? Ross says, you think Santa Claus came down here and makes them? They got more brain power than 10 stupid idiots like you. Jefferson says he doesn't want to fight. They got bigger problems. Ross says, one of those screamers tagged my patrol. We felt sorry for the kid. We took him into the bunker and nobody got out. But Jefferson says, except you. Ross says, uh, what's that supposed to mean? Then he pulls his gun and starts yelling that the Alliance built them and brought them here. Becker pulls his gun, too, and says, you made them hungry, so now they don't care what uniform is covering your ass. Joe pulls his gun on Becker, and now they have a nice, good old four-way standoff. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an interesting moment because I'm, I'm, on one hand, like, Becker rugs, rubs me the wrong way throughout this whole thing. On purpose? Right down to his, like, little, on, on purpose, yeah. Right down to his little, like, teardrop tattoos coming out of his eye and i'm just like come on dude you're not you're not as you're not so you're not so tough but but that that teardrop drop thing is not technically something that becker the human had on his face no no you're right so yeah it's interesting and to your point my man uh myra (laughs) was very amused by the teardrop tattoos she was like that's ridiculous (laughs) It's ridiculous, and it's in the wrong place. I was like, it is ridiculous, but I didn't want to say anything because I don't don't ever like to, uh, you know, tell her anything about the movie. If she's watching for the first time, I just want to let her experience it. But in my head, I was like, yeah, it's ridiculous, but there's kind of a purpose for it, you know? Yeah, And it sort of needed to be visual so that you could, you know, there's a reason later. Yeah. We'll get to that. But I've always 100% agreed with you that it looked a little silly. Just then, the tension is broken by Jessica, who tells them to take their bullshit outside. It's her bunker. Uh, She's letting Ross and Becker stay there. Uh, She gives them sort of like a little brief little tour, shows them that they have real scotch and not that synthetic shit. Jessica then asks Joe for a cigarette and walks off. I like how Joe's like, I know where this is going. (laughs) I'm the shit. Uh, Joe hands Becker, Ross, and Jefferson the scotch and tells them to live it up. And then follows Jessica. By the way, side note, real quick. Uh, whenever I say tour, tour, can you say that word for me, buddy? Tour? So I always get made fun of because my Maryland accent makes it sound like I'm saying tour, like T-O-R. Uh, and everyone's like, it's tour. And I'm like, that's what I'm saying, tour. <laughs> tour, like giving someone a tour of yeah. the house? Yeah. Yeah, tour. tour. Yeah, but... I don't know. I guess my I guess the it's a Maryland thing, but I always get made fun of for how I say tour. Tour. You know, you just say you say tomato, I say fuck you. <laughs> you, you say tomato, I say tomato. Tomatoes. See, I listen, buddy. I know what you're all about. Yeah, baby. I'm all about tomatoes. Zach has been on a nonstop Attack of the Killer Tomatoes tear ever since we covered it on TV Obscura. I want to do a follow up. I want to do a follow up because the final, the second season is actually better than the first season. It tells a killer story of like the tomatoes have now taken over the earth. 
And there's maybe, only one spot left. Maybe you and I can have a, a Patreon exclusive uh, season two tomato discussion. I'll watch. Yeah. I'll watch whatever you want me to watch to have that discussion. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. You know what else is so good? Oh, Jennifer Rubin. All right. So Joe walks. Yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. great. <laughs> Joe walks into uh, her makeshift bedroom. Uh, and Jessica is preparing herself a sort of small wash area. They exchange pleasantries and flirt a little. Uh, Joe asks if she's a freelancer. She says she's a black market freelancer. Joe says he's looking for Marshal Richard Cooper, 5th Neb Army. Jessica says that he would be in he would be in the command bunker if it's still there. Joe asks about the communication satellites, too. Jessica said if they're still functional, then the controls will be in the bunker, too. Joe's like, what the hell is going on around here? Because, I mean, he was fully expecting to see, like, a fully functional base and everything. So he's yeah. just as surprised. No. Uh, Jessica says, you have no idea what kind of hell you people opened up here. Joe says, you know, he doesn't want to start a pissing match with her. Just give him the logistics on the command bunker and he'll be gone. Uh, Joe says he's wasting his time. She heard hordes of those David... Uh, David's screaming into the bunker above. Then she heard the soldier screaming, then silence. Joe says if Marshall Cooper's alive, he's going to find him. Jessica says, Jessica says she'll take him to the command via the underground passage from her bunker, but she wants something in return. She wants off-planet back to Earth. Joe says nobody's going back to, back to Earth. The Nebs and Alliance are starting Armageddon all over again on Triton 4. They hung everyone on this planet out to dry. He says he can take her back to Lion's bunker, but that's his best offer. Jessica says deal, and then Becker kind of pops up and says to Jessica, going somewhere, Jessica. <laughs> Joe says she's taking me to Neb Command, then I'm taking her to the Alliance base. Joe says to Becker and Ross, you stay at Alliance and you can relocate anywhere in the, in the star system, or you can go straight to hell for all I care. <laughs> Ross says, you can't go down there. And Becker kind of gives him some shit and says, what's the matter, Ross? Afraid of the dark? Ross says, get off my back. And that's the, the start of his little catchphrase. So, you know, I, I was talking to, to Myra about Ross's character. And when I was younger, I was like, you know, he, he, I thought he was like maybe stereotypical, although I thought Charles Edwin Powell puts a lot of energy into the character. And, and he's a lot of fun to watch. But I didn't quite understand. But now that I'm older, I'm like, okay, let me put myself in this guy's shoes. Ross, not not the actor, Charles Edwin Powell, but Ross, the character. He saw probably all of his friends die, right? Barely made it out of that thing alive. Has horrible PTSD, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. No reprieve from that because now he's, we don't know yet, but we will later. He's essentially been holed up with uh, two screamers, with two, you know, fake humans who've probably been poking him just a little bit. I mean, Becker's been overtly poking him, but not offering him any kind of help for his PTSD whatsoever. So uh, now that I'm older, I kind of feel bad for that character. I'm like, that guy is in a world of pain right now. What I what I totally agree with you, um, and, and I appreciate the character choices that he makes, like the... the he chews on his like a shoelace throughout the whole thing, like a nervous thing, um, knowing, you know, being around kids for, for years and seeing like kids with nervous, 
nervous habits and nervous ticks and stuff like that. Little things that get them to calm themselves down. I dig that. That was cool. First of all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's like a, the underlying tension. And you're like, why do these guys hate each other so much? And then, then it makes sense in a little while. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's great. Like he, he's not a, again, Charles Edwin Powell is not a, um, you know, out of this, out of this group of actors at this point, it's probably the least known out of the whole group, uh, out of the, out of the full, what five. And, um, but he holds Zone so damn well and stands out a lot more than, you know, a couple of the other actors where you're like, this guy, I want, I want to see more of this guy. Yeah. Not what eventually happens in about <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. 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 And I guarantee you people who, you know, even if you haven't seen this probably since it came out in 95, I guarantee you remember this character. And, uh, that says a lot right there. And, and, you know, Jennifer Rubin, like, uh, coming out as the lone female she holds her own too mm-hmm. i i on one hand i'm like i kind of feel like they exploit her a little bit but a little bit but then it kind of makes sense uh knowing what who what she is later right um and but initially i'm like you know well, are they kind of like playing off the fact that she's the last woman on the earth basically uh i get that and and you know, Joe is like salivating at the opportunity to, you know, spread his wings. <clears throat> I mean, she's she's a beautiful woman, um, yeah. and yeah. and yeah, I, and of course, you know, obviously, like you said, I we assume that you guys have all seen this movie by this point. Uh, we know that she she's a screamer as well, but we know that she's a bit more sophisticated. And yeah, I think I think you're right. I think at first I was like, okay, so they're yeah they're showing off a little cleavage. Yeah, they might be a little exploitative, but then now I'm like. Uh, but I think that was her character. I think that was the robot. You know, that's her That's her programming is to kind of yes. get close to people like that, you know? Exactly. So Exactly. Uh, again, like I said earlier, this actually movie, th- this movie actually does really well with repeat viewing. Uh, again, aside from that stupid General Riken thing at the beginning, everything in this movie, like when you rewatch it, it all lines up. It like it makes sense. Like the world is built so well that it it, it doesn't crack under repeat viewing. Nope, it doesn't. As Joe and Jefferson are gearing up, Jefferson sh- shows Joe. That not only does Jefferson have a bunch of a line, Jessica. Sorry. Okay, let me start again. As Joe and Jefferson, too many J names. <laughs> As Joe <laughs> and Jefferson are gearing up, Jefferson shows Joe that not only does Jessica have a bunch of alliance guns in her bunker, but she also has a mini handheld nuke. Joe gets pissed and he's like, "What have I been saying this whole time?" You know. So all right. A lot of the dialogue, and I just a lot of the dialogue that I glossed over with uh, Joe and Jefferson talking, you learn that a, and you learn it now. We haven't started nukes. We didn't use nukes before. We're not going to start now. So basically, the reason that that Joe and his men were galvanized to basically form the alliance uh, and fight the Nebs is because they used nukes, and he saw what that did, that does, and he. Like the Alliance have been adamant about never retaliating with nukes. Now, one would say that the Screamers are even worse than nukes, but that it's it is a part of Joe's sort of character makeup. Is he's very much against nukes because he's seen what they do. Yeah. So he's pissed. He goes, "We haven't used nukes in this war yet, and we aren't going to start now." 
Uh, Joe kind of gathers everyone up and tells them they're heading out. Uh, Becker is constantly sharpening his, his knife, and it's getting on Ross's nerves, who seems like he's about to snap. As they are loading up into the elevator, so so Jessica says she's going to take them via take them to the bunker via the, via an underground passage from her bunker. So they have to go into an elevator and then descend even further. I mean, they're already in an underground bunker, and now they have to descend even further. So as they are loading up into the elevator to go down into the underground passage, Joe tells everyone to stay close to him and Jefferson. He doesn't know if the tabs still work, but they it might help them mask them, you know, from the screamers as well. So basically, stay together. Uh, their team kind of makes their way through the underground passage while they are walking. Becker kind of keeps, you know, fucking with Ross and Ross keeps saying, get off my back. Uh, they eventually make it to the command bunker. Inside the command bunker, all they find is blood and chunks of flesh everywhere. Ross starts freaking the fuck out and breaking shit and saying, we're all going to die, you know, and everything. And Joe kind of fires a, a, a round into the air, you know, to kind of get him to stop. And he's like, Jefferson, if this man makes a sound, if he so much as farts, shoot him. And, you know, Ross looks all scared. And I just like how, how Jefferson's like, what does he say? He just goes, shut up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, he he, he has kind of like a... I really start to his character grows on me because the his the personality Jefferson's character uh, because he seems like kind of like a down to earth guy almost like a little bit of a California dude you know laid back mm-hmm. he's like kind of laid back in that way to the point where yeah and this goes back to him playing music on his Walkman and you know watching movies on his phone, on his glasses. Like, he doesn't take – he's kind of like a bro in yeah. a way. Yeah, He's he's capable, but he, he's kind of lax right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they make it – they make it deeper in, into the bunker to the Neb Command Center. Uh, and this is what you were saying. Like, like dude, the set design here is so freaking cool with, like, those well, random lasers. Like, that could have looked stupid, but it doesn't. It's just a warehouse that they shot it in, but they made the warehouse seem like a otherworldly place. It makes it doesn't to me. It doesn't feel it. It looks like a warehouse. Yeah, where the warehouse, but it doesn't give off that aura about it. They do a really good job of making you feel like how many post-apocalyptic futuristic sci-fi movies use warehouses because it's easy to shoot in. Right. But they don't, I don't know. It just, it makes more sense. It feels grittier. It doesn't feel like, ah, they just shot this in some abandoned place. Like it doesn't feel that way. No, it doesn't. And I think that's the production design is, is fantastic on this film again for the budget that they have. Well, later at the in the third act with the with the with the shuttle and they're using a simple laser light. It really is simple, mm-hmm. you know, and on one hand, you're like, oh, they're literally just using a laser light. It's cheesy. No, but you could look at it and say it's cheesy. But on the other hand, you could say, yeah, but it makes total sense. I, I, I don't have a problem with this at all. Yeah. It's just the way it's handled. It's the way it's treated. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all. No, I, no, I think you're a hundred percent correct. And you know, to that point, also, you know, the la- it's not a CGI thing. Like the laser light's actually there, so that kind of also helps. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah. But yeah, I like I'm I'm with you on on everything you just said. I completely agree. Um, Joe finds a working terminal and starts trying to link up with the satellites. Just then, one of the animal-looking screamers walks out, and they all sort of hide behind uh, some some tubing type of thing, you know. It then walks over to the same computer terminal and then starts to, like, hack it, you know. I, I don't know what it was trying to do, but you don't really know either, but it doesn't matter. And I like that. I like that you don't know. It's just it's a screamer walking around doing its fucking screamer things when, no, yep. you know, when it's not killing people. It's doing other things, and that, that's interesting to me. Um, the screamer kind of, it kind of leaves. They sort of come back out of hiding, but then just then the screamer pops back up in front of Ross and Jefferson rushes over and kind of holds his tab in front of Ross, sort of masking him and everything. And it's, it's cool. I like that Jefferson did that. Uh, the, the screamer doesn't register them and kind of starts walking away. And then my wife noticed this. I didn't actually notice what happened at first, but my wife noticed it. She, so so Jefferson's like, you know, okay, cool. We're leaved. And he, he taps Ross on the shoulder, kind of like giving him like, hey, you're good type of tap, you know? And that's yeah. the noise is what the screamer heard. And it turned around and then it just shoots up in the air. Of course, Ross shoots it. But of course, you know, he kills it on the first shot, but he keeps shooting. And of course, he destroys the computer terminal. Of course. Of course. Jesus. Of, I know. Uh, and I like this. After a beat of silence, we start hear echoes in the bunker. Can I come with you? Yeah, I love that. Can I come with you? Can I come with you? <laughs> and I, and I like I I love that shit because you don't see them right away. You just hear them echoing, so yeah. you know they're there. You know, you know they're coming. It's great. Yeah, it's really fucking cool. Joe tells everyone to run back to the underground passage, uh, but he kind of stays behind and he starts checking the chips uh, that he'd been taking out of the screamers and everything. He's scanning them into the Neb terminal um, and he sees that the animal screamer is labeled type one revised in the computer. Uh, we see a shadow of David sort of closing in. Joe checks the chip from the David model and it's labeled type three. Then Joe types into the terminal Identify type two, but the Davids are already on top of him before he gets an answer. Jessica, Jefferson, Becker, and Ross make it back to the base of their bunker. Uh, back up there, Joe is hightailing it out of the Neb bunker with Davids in pursuit. Uh, and this is what I like. I like this. You don't ever see, really see too much of the actor kid playing it, but they'll show like, but with, with the shadows on the walls of the Davids and then hearing the echoes, this was a fantastic way to handle this with low budget. And and I am always scared of the scene because of what I can't see. Yeah, it it's a better it's it's much better executed than what happens later on in the movie. Uh, you know, in the in the bunker in the base. When, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This yes, this is the this is the better way to do it. Um, and I have an idea of how to fix that base one. That that base one would have been great in, in 2021 because they just would have used CGI for all the the, the different de- Davids. You know what I mean? But yeah, th- this is the better. I like this a lot better. And it's freaky, man. I, I find this oh, yeah. whole entire scene of of Joe basically now he's. He makes it out. He's going through the underground basement area, you know, kind of going back where they were at before, you know. And and again, you never see the David actor, but you hear them in the distance. So you know that they're always in pursuit, you know. Right. 
And then, of course, Jefferson comes kind of to meet him. Fucking Jefferson goes, can I, can I go, like, can I come with you or something? He says the same fucking thing. And yeah, he, he, he jokes, he, like, jokes with him. Can I come with you? <laughs> I know. Dude, Like, no. that is not the moment to do that. No. And even Joe's like, fuck you. God damn it, Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. So they, so Joe and Jefferson finally get back to these like the, these huge doors that are at the bottom of Jessica's uh, bunker. They close the doors. I mean, they look massive. They close the doors. And they're like, okay, cool. This will this will stop them. Of course, then immediately there's like banging and screaming and screeching and on the outside of the doors. Like, oh shit! So they have to get back into the elevator and then they go up. It's 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 a nice little intense you know scene. But the cool oh, yeah. thing is, from this moment on. When they're up in the bunker, the Davids are essentially all down in the basement. And the way that the bunker is set up, there's spots where you can pretty much see straight down to the basement. Now, I will say that it, I would have had a constant track playing in the background of Davids saying, can I come with you? Like, just to kind of yeah. reiterate that. But they do establish that they are down there. But I, they kind of... Low, like the vol, it doesn't come back volume wise ever later, you know. Here, but just the idea that that now your house, your place is infested with these David screamers. It's, it's kind of scary, dude. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. La la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. So now that they are all relatively safe, Jessica asks what was so important he stayed behind. Joe starts yelling, what other type? He sort of like freaks, uh, he, he, he flicks the chips at Jessica. Jessica says, type two is a wounded soldier that lies on the ground crying. Jefferson asks what they are supposed to look like. Ross says, you mean, who are they supposed to look like? Becker says to Ross, look in the mirror, Ross. Then Ross says, get off my back. Becker says to the rest of them, he just keeps saying the same thing over and over again because it doesn't have anything better to say. I like how Becker referred to Ross as it. Yeah. Ross says, get off my... And then he kind of like, you know, hesitates, realizes. Becker says, exactly. Ross kind of starts to draw his gun, but Becker chucks his knife right into fucking Ross's chest, like right into his heart. I was like, oh, shit. Even the, I mean, the first time I saw it, I was shocked. Second time I saw it, I was shocked. Third time I saw that, I was shocked. I was like, damn. Yeah, I was bummed, too. I'm like, oh, no, they killed him way too early. Yeah, yeah. Way too early. Uh, Becker says he's one of them, a type two. He keeps repeating himself. And he didn't take a drink of the scotch. Now, I did like that, you know, uh, um, Jefferson's like, uh, you know, he confirmed that. He's like, yes, yeah, sir, he, di he, didn't take, he didn't take a sip of the scotch, you know. But yep. Joe walks over and pulls out the blade, and sure enough, it has blood on it. 
Uh, Jessica aims her gun at Becker and says, that wasn't very human of you, Becker. Now, I wonder if that was actually the robot talking to the robot. Like, like they're in on the conversation talking together like, dude, you trying to blow our cover here or something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because she has ulterior motives later on. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, he says, you better kill me then to be on the safe side. Uh, Joe says, man, I'm out of here. If anyone's coming, come on. I, I just want to go back really quick, too, because I think we might have missed this or I missed this uh, when the David shows his screamer face, which was the cover of Fangoria. Mm. Um the alien face when he was, when Joe was on the computer, I think. Yeah. Where it does that morph. Yeah. That quick morph face thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally half a second. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's like a mixture of CG and practical. It's really interesting. Uh, I paused it cause I'm, I'm like, that's all they gave us for that one little scene. And this goes back to Fangoria. I love Fangoria. I always will. I always will. But sometimes they had some of the, they had some pretty crappy covers, especially in the 90s. Well, I think, I think just... t- Tony Timpone in our interview uh, that, that you did with him, um, he even said that that I think in the 90s, because horror, horror movies weren't as, as big at a certain time, and they kind of had to really sort of fight to figure out like like what to, to like sort of put in the, the magazine and everything. And, and I think... I don't know if this is a movie if this is a movie that would be better fit for like Starlog magazine than it is for Fangoria, but I think because it had just the the smallest amount of gore in it, they're like let's put it on Fangoria. Yeah, cuz I think I even might have commented on a another episode where you know this is when they're putting like Jurassic Park on the cover mm-hmm. and you're like, "Wait, Jurassic Park? Like yeah. what? That's not horror. Screamers is not a horror film. It's sci-fi. It's sci-fi." Yeah. Yeah, it's sci-fi action with horror elements in it. And yeah, no, yeah. I, I think of that. I think of what Tony Tempone said, uh, and I look back and it actually, I mean, it put a lot of uh, of Fangoria issues uh, into context for me, you know? Yeah, like, me I was too. like, ah, that's why those weird random movies, like Naked Lunch. Like Naked Lunch was a Fangoria magazine. I watched, I saw Naked Lunch because of the coverage in Fangoria, and I was so fucking confused, not only by the movie, but why Fangoria even covered it. Just because it has some like monsters in it or something? Yeah, it makes no sense at all. At all, dude. Do you, do you remember the Naked Lunch episode? Yeah, no, I totally do. I totally remember that cover, and um, that's not a horror film. It, it, I know. It, it, and also too, like they did that. I, th- I feel like they might have put n- nothing but trouble on the yes. cover once, yeah. and I'm like, wait, like, yeah. nothing but trouble. What the fuck? Come I think on. It, I think it got to a point where if the if the movie had some kind of prosthetics or some kind of weird monster design, because you know, nothing but trouble has some weird shit in it. But it, it does. ain't a horror it, movie. It's not a horror film. I think they might have put the burbs on there too, and and at one point, um, I think that's. It goes down to it being like this should not be a monthly magazine. Yeah. There's not enough horror to cover every month current horror in that respect, yeah. you know, which is fine. It's like I think I mean, magazines are pretty much dead now. Sad, sad to say. Um, but but, you know, I, I'm glad they in a way I'm glad they put screamers on the cover because it made me want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny that the, the what I wanted to see was on there for half a second. Right. 
you could look at your cover for longer than than <laughs> you saw uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. Oh, and yeah, in split second, that was another you know uh, Fangoria one as well. So. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, split second. Ah, oh, oh, Corey movies. <laughs> oh. World building. World building. <laughs> world building, where the world they've made is not big enough, so Corey makes it even bigger. That's right. That's what I love. Love it. And better. Imagination. And better. Run rampant. Yes. <laughs> Imagination. Woo-hoo. It's the best, guys. It is. All Agreed. Right. So they all leave uh, via the tunnel that they came in. You know, with the fan. Uh, Jessica asked Joe, I like this. If you get killed, will your men let us in? Joe says, not if he's smart. I was like, I like that. You didn't need that dialogue. You didn't need that at all. But I was like, that's cool. That's good there. Uh, Becker looks at Joe and says, I'm not sorry. It was a mistake. Joe says, "I'll, I'll kill you before I let you make another one. And then they start walking back to Alliance. When they leave, this is when I wrote down, um, Man, that looks like Air Raiders to me. Mm, mm, I because Air Raiders, for those that don't know, was a was a very short lived toy line where, uh, like, it had like uh, like you could shoot darts and stuff out of the ships and and like mi- real teeny tiny figures. Be- they were about beautifully the size sculpted of, teeny tiny figures. Yeah, they were like purple guys versus orange guys, and. Um, and I think we talked about it on our obscure toy line episode. Yeah. And they were a little bit smaller than the Starcom figures, which were from Coleco, mm-hmm. another great toy line. But uh, these guys, like the base, it was very inexpensive because it was like they, they didn't really move a whole lot. And uh, everything was neutral colors. It was like orange and tan, yeah, purple yeah. and gray. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And they were so badass, but but uh, very like Dune esque, yeah, and like uh, you know otherworldly, and so I saw the as they're leaving, uh, you know, back as they're heading back to Joe's base, I'm just like, oh, that looks like that looks like uh, Air Raiders, cool. That's it. I love Air Raiders, man. I mean, dude, again, of course, listen to that episode, but like. All the sculpting was amazing on it. And because the figures were so small, uh, the vehicles could be huge, but still not actually be physically huge, but could still house like a bunch of these characters in them. And I didn't have a lot of air raiders, but it was one of those toy lines where I would always like in the catalogs, you know, I would just stare at the air raider toys and be like, damn, those things are fucking cool. So cool. And they would give you a bunch of figures yeah. with each thing yeah like because four like or five like well yeah one vehicle would come with like yeah five or so like guys it's, it's like it, because they were so small you you could just get a ton of them really cool I, what a cool line man i would love for that shit to come back me too maybe we'll bring it back damn right yeah podcasting after dark presents toys for kids <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> um Okay, there's a scene between Jefferson and Becker as they're walking back, but I didn't track it. It's a conversation that they have. Becker basically just telling Jefferson, you know, how in- insignificant they all are. He's like, you're not going to change the world. We're not going to – no one's going to miss us when we die. Eh, you know, it's it's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But honestly, I didn't track it, and you could probably just cut this whole – cut the whole scene out, you know? Again, another minute you could have cut off. Yeah, probably, yeah, could have trimmed it. So I, yeah. I essentially just wrote, they make it back to Alliance Command without incident. That That's how I just jumped Pretty it, much. essentially. Um, 
Joe tries to reach Chuck on the radio. By the way, dude, I didn't understand this. Why does he refer to himself as Cicero? And then Chuck was somebody else with an L name. It wasn't Joe to Chuck. It was like Cicero, Cicero calling, well, you know, something else. Lucius or something. Yeah, it was something else. What, what was that? Why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I feel like is that there military was a lot jargon? Of, is that is that a military jargon thing? No, I I think it probably. The, I'm sure there was more depth to uh, Joe's coin collection mm. thing that he was doing. You know, in that that he was maybe a, a, a history buff. He listened to classical music. Uh, you know, he knew a bunch of, he calls, um, you know, uh, he calls Jennifer Rubin's character Cleopatra at yeah. one point at the end. And you're like, okay, so he's, I'm sure it has some sort of history buff type thing. Okay. Which they just never got to. They never got to it. They and they didn't understand Cutting it. room floor. Yeah. But, He's, so he, he's trying to contact him, uh, uh, kind of no response at first. The worst piece of dialogue from Peter Weller was right here. Where he's like, what's oh, all this goddamn radiation? And I was like, that was a bad, he delivered it bad. And I was like, we already know that. You could have literally yes. left that one on the cutting room floor. Because it was, it was a noticeably bad delivery. All of a sudden, Chuck comes on the radio and says, you know, he's like, come down over. You know, he's like, Chuck here, come down over. Joe keeps like t- telling Chuck, he's like, come on up, open the door. We're here. Come up. Uh, Joe says, uh, you know, and, and Chuck keeps saying, come down over, you know. And uh, Joe was like, and everything, by the way, everything's like kind of quiet. You know, yeah. you can sense something's, you know, uh, uh, maybe something's wrong. Up. Yeah. Um, and then Joe says, uh, let me speak to John, Don Giovanni. And that was the the song that he was listening, the Mozart, Mozart song. Yes. And then you hear Chuck reply, "This is John Don Giovanni. Come down over." And I mean, and then and then conversely, Peter Weller does an amazing look of just you know just horror and you know fear. And so as yeah. bad as the delivery was two seconds ago of that one line, is is how uh, the opposite of how amazing his facial expression is when he realizes his pal Chuck is dead. Yep, he looks shocked. He tells everyone to fall back from the base, like basically head back just as the doors are starting to open and hundreds of Davids start walking out and, you know, start screaming and everything. And so even when I was younger and I mean, this scene, this is probably the one that holds up the least because you only have the one David actor and they do try to like, you know, focus in on him as much as possible, but like. All around him are just not only just not David's, not that same actor, but like, you know, they're trying to do the fake faces and some of the other like kid extras are different heights and everything. And I'm just like, okay, I'm like, okay. Some, I get. And some of them were wearing masks where you're like, whoa. So, this some is of them really were wearing bad. paper mache masks as bad as the end of Savage Streets, dude. Like, it, yeah. it was, but here's the thing, you know, I, I was like, oh, this, this, this is rough. This, this is rough. And they handle it, they try to shoot it as best they can. But you can tell, you know, what it is. And it's sad that this is something that would be so easily and cheaply done nowadays by just CGIing the same actor over and over again, you know. And you're like, I didn't Damn. mind it. As bad as it is, is and it's, guys, it's, it is really laughably bad where you're just like, it oh, is. man, it's really bad. Uh, I don't. I didn't mind. I didn't mind because I, I just I get the intention. Right. And they must have been laughing their asses off at, at when the director yelled "cut." They must have been because it's just you're like <laughs> it's so obvious that they're not, uh, little David's. 
Can and, I come and, with you? Know, you? I mean, can yeah, I come yeah. with you? Can I come with you? Can I come with you? Can I come with you? <laughs> but yeah, no, and in, and I don't. I'm not going to ding the movie for it because it's 1995. It's a smaller budget film, you know, and everything. So I'm, I'm not going to ding it. And I think we, you, you know, we're good enough to like kind of just. We can just use our blinders, our, 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 our beer goggles, and just say, "Yeah, I get what you got, what you're trying to do here." You know, just like, just like I, I can use my beer go- goggles to uh, uh, pretend that the stuntman holding the flamethrower is Peter Weller when his face looks nothing like Peter Weller. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's like that you're great. you're a stuntman. Good job. I, but see, I love all this stuff. I know, like you know, uh, uh. uh our, some of our friends in the BFOP community don't they 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 uh, they scoff at the guffaws and the silly stuff, but you know what? That it's a lot better than Mortal Kombat. Damn right, and we're talking about Mortal Kombat 2021, by the way. Damn yes, right, are. it is. Yep. <laughs> Fuck that movie. A lot better than Kano's performance. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. That, hey, that, man, that man's a national sorry. treasure. God sorry, dude. I will. I will take that to the grave. <laughs> I know you will. You and you and an army of one. <laughs> oh, I got some. I got some agreements on this. I'm sure. I'm sure. I just like to give you a hard time. Like the president of the United States. So they're they're standing on top of the hill. They're they're fighting off the army of Davids, and eventually, you know, Joe's like. Give me the nuke. And of course, Jefferson's like, what? He's like, the one you stole, you little thief. And it's weird because I actually <laughs> like that they added that little, like, he, he kind of jabs him. He could have just said, the one you stole. Like, what are you stole, you little thief? Yeah, I, I like it too, but I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> so, it's funny. It's funny. It is. I it laugh. really is. I know. I know. Oh, uh, so Jefferson gives him the mini nuke. It kind of attaches to Joe's gun. Uh, he fires it, and he nukes the only home he's ever known for the past 20 years or so. It's a kind of funny looking because it looks like a little, it looks like a little rocket. Yeah, yeah. So it see. works. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, they kind of like, as the nuke explodes, they get blown off of the hill, but kind of like, you know, behind it, the other side and go rolling down. Uh, there's a little bit of a time jump. It looks like, because it was, you know, pitch black nighttime when they nuked the, the base. And now with all the smoke and everything, it's, it's kind of like morning, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them being knocked out for a few minutes while the sun rises, I guess. Or, Hey, you know what? We don't also know how fast days go by on Sirius 6B either, so. We don't, and they haven't smoked many cigarettes that we've seen in between these times. That's true. Just saying. (laughs) Probably none of them are long for this world, regardless of what's going to happen. Yep. Uh, The smoke clears, and we see Becker is on the ground, wounded and screaming. I will always say that his performance is pretty awesome here, like very convincing. Like he's doing that doubled over thing that you could just, he looks like he's in pain, where you're like, you're doubled over, your face is in the ground, but then your back feet are like digging into the ground as well. I'm like, damn, he looks like he's in fucking pain, but that's the point. Yeah, I I had forgotten what, because I hadn't seen this movie since it came out, I'd forgotten what happened to his character so I'm like, oh, he probably got his arm blown off or something. This is going to be a nasty. Well, I'm surprised. <laughs> yep. And so, so is Jefferson because uh, he kind of wakes up first and he goes yep. running over to help Becker. 
but Becker is playing possum essentially and he kind of like opens his eyes and he grabs Jefferson by the waist and picks him up of course Jefferson right now now he knows he's this is a screamer we know Becker is is a screamer essentially um yeah not to be confused with a squirter um (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to say it It took you this long to get into that I'm surprised (laughs) I'm surprised the first time it actually came across my mind here All right, so he picks him up by his waist, and he starts fucking squeezing him, you know, and basically he crushes his insides and his spine and then fucking throws him. Joe runs over screaming, uh, but Becker kind of tosses him over. Joe sort of recovers and shoots Becker in the face, but it doesn't really do much. I mean, it damages him, but it doesn't, you know, stop him. This whole time, Becker's saying all kinds of cool shit, and you know what? Go watch the movie and listen to it because I actually I love what Becker's doing. He's quoting Shakespeare. He, it's really fucking cool. It is cool. He, I mean, he's he's a talented actor uh, for sure, and it's a, it's a, it's a great scene. Um, it's such a bummer that Jefferson goes out like that because at that point you're like, wait, I kind of liked him. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's a bummer. Oh well. Yeah, because well. you, you start out like thinking he's a little bit annoying, but then by the time he's dead, you're like, oh no, oh oh no, I, I you didn't realize that you actually liked him the whole time. He, he grows on you. He does. Yeah. He does. Um, this is not the best piece of special effects, but uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> Joe shoots his a rocket and kind of like blows Becker in half, but they <laughs> use like a dummy Becker, and it's uh, it's it's pretty rough. But again. At this point, I mean, I'm fully invested. It doesn't take me out of it. And it's much quicker than, like, all the David things, you know? Like, it's really fast, but it doesn't look the best. Well, this is a perfect example of of, of low budge, but still working because the acting is so good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a movie like Cyborg, the acting is shit, and, the, and it's low budge, and then it just you're like bored, mm-hmm. you know, we're going, wait, this isn't working. This isn't the case because this movie, like if you've got good acting, then that will definitely, you know, negate uh, or eliminate the, 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 the cheese ball factor with the special. Oh, you look at the special effects and you go, well, oh, it's cheesy and I can laugh at it. And that's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my opinion. And almost like it almost helps to kind of, bring a little levity otherwise things are so damn dark at this well, point yeah, they just killed off the like the comic relief funny guy you know yeah and everybody essentially everybody uh you know now that he's he's becker's in half uh joe runs to over to jefferson but he's dead uh jessica walks up behind joe and says we're going we're all going to die here we're all going to die but Joe says, not here, not today. There's an escape vehicle for Alliance Command personnel to use as a last resort. It's hidden in some mountains. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, why? Why is it hidden in mountains? <laughs> it's, like, way the hell away from them. Uh, <laughs> um, that is, that's a little silly. Yeah, yeah. You have to admit. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with it, but it's, it's, I mean, I know it's, there's a whole point to the setup, but I'm like, okay, look, there's, there's a way off this planet. I don't know where it is. Um, I think I know where it is, but I could be wrong. It's like 30, 50 miles, hundred miles from here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we got to walk there. 
We're going to walk the whole way. <laughs> FYI. But, but before, I got three cigarillos, too. So. <laughs> but before we get there. Uh, uh, oh, Joe, yeah, yeah. Hold on. This is the best part. This is wild. This or is, this is a wild ride right here. My, my, my wife was like, what is happening? <laughs> Joe, Joe takes out a knife uh, and pops. First off, he pops the chip out of Becker. But now, dude, it looks totally different at this point. It even has some kind of weird-ass alien writing on it. This is all the shit that I'm yes, intrigued by. Like, cool. are the screamers, like, now fucking, like, creating new languages and shit? This is, this is the kind of shit that, like, I'm like... Like why I want to see like the and uh, uh, like a series of this like an HBO series or something because I like I want to get into the screamers and stuff you know I think like this could have the potential of being of like treading on some Battlestar Galactica type of shit you know what I mean or the birth of Transformers that too <laughs> that too <laughs> uh, I need Energon to survive what's Energon. <laughs> It's about 300 miles from here. We have to walk to get to it. We have to walk to get to it. Except except Shockwave's been there for billions of years, though, yes. uh, uh, creating here them. Here I am, Megatron. <laughs> Peter Weller, will you kiss me with your dirty old man mouth? <laughs> hey, did you notice that everyone in this movie, and I, one thing I like about the, the costuming, or should I say the makeup design, everyone's got, like, chapped lips in this movie. Yeah, which is cool. Makes yeah, sense. I know. Except I wouldn't want to kiss those things, oh my which God, we're about to get geez. to. <laughs> I, oh so, so Jessica, uh, he's got his knife in his hand, and she wants to look at the uh, the chip, and she reaches her hand out uh, to take it, but then Joe quickly grabs her hand and gives her the fucking wickedest slice across her fucking palm. Uh, she screams and cries, rightfully so. Joe immediately apologizes. He said he had to know if she was human. He's about to like cut his own hand. She's like, "No, don't." Uh, you know, she stops him, and then they kiss. And this is my wife was like, "This With is tongue. some crazy shit right here." With tongue, like you I, see his tongue go in her mouth. He's like eating her face. I know it's a it's a passionate kiss. I mean, it is hella passionate. And but they are in a sm- like in the middle of a smoldering wreckage with dead bodies all around them. And like I said, my my wife loved this movie. She, she much more than I ever thought she would. But right here, she's like she's like this is fucking ridiculous right here. It's ridiculous because she now has this big gaping wound in her hand that's yeah. definitely going to require stitches because yeah. he deep gouges her. That's why I said. To, that's why I said to Myra, "Go, that thing's gonna fucking take nine stitches easily." And and then they're he's like sticking his tongue down her throat. And is that when he says, "God, you're beautiful"? No, that was that was actually when he sort of first met her and in, in her when she was doing the bath thing. You know. Oh yeah, that's right. When yeah. she's bathing herself yeah. with a sponge bath and. Yeah, but yeah. This is this is definitely a passionate kiss for sure. I mean, if we ever have her on the show, I gotta know why or how rough of an experience that was. <laughs> what he tasted like? <laughs> Who tasted better, Carrie Elway's in Crush or <laughs> Peter Weller after smoking a red cigarette? Seriously. And here's here's what you were talking about. Uh, Jessica and Joe kind of trek across the planet. Uh, I, I mean, I like some of the shots, you know, I and love everything. The but but shots. but like but like you said, like just sort of the the like the realistic factor of it. Like, why wasn't the the escape pod, you know, maybe closer to the Alliance base? You know what I mean? Well, the whole point of an an escape pod is is like. It's your last ditch effort. It's time to get off the island or uh, time to get away from, right, mm-hmm. from the planet. 
and you put it 300 miles away? Yeah. Like, no. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense whatsoever. I will say, yeah, the landscape shots, uh, the, 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 the scenic shots are really cool. It's really beautiful. They walk past like a stream uh, in the snow, and, and, and there's and a we, shot of the screamer, the streamer, you know, going yep. by. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. The You actually get a, another cool shot of the screamer going under the – I love that. Like you said earlier, it's so cool. Those little shots are awesome. And, and, and honestly – that kind of feels like Star Wars. Lucas in the original trilogy used to put these little side things in that you would just see in the corner of your frame, you know, of, yeah. of the movie, and that was that made the world feel alive. And I see this director doing it here with you know having these shots of like, you know, the way the shots framed, you just you, you just think you're looking at you know Peter Weller and and Jessica uh, Rubin like walking or whatever, but then the ground you know moves and you're like oh okay cool cool that's that's cool I like it it feels like a living breathing world and then when they get to the mountain I like that you see the exploded like like bridge that almost looks like a, a Golden Gate bridge I I like that it's like a familiar looking architecture even though we're on an alien planet but it's an alien planet that we've colonized but while I'm on this tear, it's like I'm so used to seeing colonized planets like in Aliens where it's like in the process of being colonized. It's kind of cool to see something that like where people have lived on and and built it up. And, and it's cool to see that we made it look like Earth, essentially. Yeah, no, it's it's super cool. It's super cool. I, I totally agree. Um, and and I have no problem with. You know, other than the location, I've got no problem with the, any of the other stuff. Other and than I the love... logic of why they would have to trek there. Yes, yes. And I guess the only thing I would say is maybe there was like a direct underground tunnel that like used like some kind of train, like fast train to get there under the base. But they nu- they nuked the base and they couldn't, you know, use it. But, True. But, you know, I, I actually that's dialogue that I would have rather had, like instead of. Instead of the dialogue that we talked about, maybe we could have cut, like the one where she asks, like, what happens if you die? Would your men let us in? You know, I would rather them cut that and say, okay, we have to maybe have someone with Peter Weller saying, okay, we got to go there. Uh, there used to be a transport in the base, but unfortunately we just nuked it, so now we got to hoof it. That, that's it. Just two seconds like that. You know what I mean? That's all you got to do? Yep. Sometimes all you got to do. Inside the bunker, they find the escape shuttle in its launch bay. Uh, Joe starts the launch sequence, but there's a crane blocking the shuttle's trajectory. I want to go back really quick sure. to when they find the when they find the the, the finally discover the hit underground bunker temple or whatever, uh, and, and and like the doorway is the rock of the the mountain, and it's super cool looking. I'm like, that's for a low budget movie. It's really badass. Like badass. You, you didn't have to add that. Like, like no, you know what I mean? Great. Like, it's great. Yeah, that was a good fucking job. I like that. Yep, totally agree. Inside the bunker, they find the escape shuttle in its launch bay. Joe starts the launch sequence, but there's a crane blocking the shuttle's trajectory. He's going to remove it and meet Jessica down at the shuttle. Uh, the crane isn't responding to the central controls, so Joe has to climb up to it manually and run a bypass. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like Hudson, you know. Run a bypass. Yep. Hudson, run a bypass. Once the crane is sort of starts moving and out of the way, Joe jumps back down onto the catwalk, but is fucking punched right in the fucking face uh, by his old pal Chuck. who's He's on na- the catwalk. On he shakes the cat- his little tush on the catwalk. <laughs> 
And then he gets punched in the face by Chuck. By Chuck. Because Chuck's oh, too sexy for this turn. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I always like that song. It's a fun song. I love that song. Yeah, right, right said Fred. Uh, now, now Chuck is wearing a Neb. Did you notice he was wearing a Neb uh, um, outfit? Yes. Uh, and then he has the same tattoos Becker had. But he's also uh, like voiceovered by Becker. So he's got Becker's voice, too. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. And then changes his voice at one point, too. Yep, exactly. Chuck throws Joe's gun over the catwalk, and it hits one of the laser beams above the shuttle and disintegrates. One of the laser beams you were talking about. And also, too, I didn't think about it until the second or the second viewing when I was t- tracking notes. I was like, why are those there? And I was like, oh, I guess if maybe because you're trying to leave this like automated with no one there, if any sort of debris from the ceiling falls down, they don't want it to hit the shuttle. They would, it would just be zapped by the laser beam by the protection. Yeah, there. Makes I was like, sense. Oh, okay. Okay. That works. Good point. Good, Good point. point. Um, so yeah, so his gun gets disintegrated. Uh, Chuck throws Joe off the catwalk, but he kind of catches onto the crane. Chuck then jumps onto the crane trying to grab Joe. And of course they're talking this whole time. As Chuck is talking, we can tell it's Becker's voice, like I said. Uh, he says he likes his old face better. Uh, it was Marshall Cooper's face. So that's a reveal that the whole time that we were yep. looking at Becker, that was actually Marshall Cooper. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. He says uh, they took both faces off. Uh, you know, basically, again, he talked, the dialogue's much better, but he basically alludes to the fact that they were alive and screaming as, uh, as they removed their faces. Another thing that, you know, we don't see, but I'm glad because hearing it makes me freaked out. I'm like, oh, God, that's terrifying. Yeah, less is more. Exactly. Uh, Chuck throws Joe again, but he like tries to throw him off of the crane, uh, but he's still hanging on. Jessica's below by the shuttle, sort of watching. She's like looking up and watching. Chuck then kind of gets passively, very passively. Passive. Yeah, very passive. Uh, Chuck kind of gets into a position where he wraps his uh, legs around Joe's neck as he sort of as, as Joe is hanging there, and he tells Joe. He's going to take his face next. And this is when he's like, I like your face better. And then it changes from Becker's voice to uh, Peter Weller's voice coming yep. out of Chuck's mouth. Yeah, I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Me too. Joe then takes the knife like sort of out of his boot, stabs Chuck in the chest with it, doesn't really do anything. Then he takes the severed wires that were kind of, that they were the reason that the crane wasn't really moving. There's a bunch of severed wires hanging there. Uh, and he takes that and he jams it into Chuck's chest and electrocutes him. And he's like all like, rah, 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 you know, all freaking out and everything. And then he falls off and hits the laser and explodes. Joe goes down and reunites with Jessica by the shuttle. But unfortunately, we have bad news. There's only one seat and one life support in the shuttle. Joe tells Jessica she's going instead of him. Uh, but she's but they have like this thing where, where she's like, oh, no, you know, I, I don't know how to fly it. Joe's like, we're going to flip for it. You know, he's like and he has the coin that he was looking at at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, this is when he says the clip, you know, pick pick the, you know, because it's all Roman shit. So he flicks it. and He's like, call it Cleopatra, you know. Like you said, and uh, and and he kind of it doesn't matter. He throws his glove on it, and he's like, "You're going." It doesn't matter. Um, but she says, "I can't." Uh, she can't. I she, love she, this. Yeah, me too. And just then, another Jessica walks up behind her, like you can see her, 
And, uh, you know, she, she says what she will come the words that come out of her mouth are the same exact words that this Jessica said when she first walked down the stairs, you know, about, about not shooting and all that kind of stuff. So, you, you know, there's that connection and everything. We know she's a robot. Joe's Jessica. And now I start referring to her as JG. I'm sorry, GJ. For good Jessica and BJ for bad Jessica. Ah, nice. <laughs> nice. Um, good Jessica says, I-, I wanted to tell you, but, you know, uh, Peter, uh, Joe's not going to like listen to that immediately. So he throws her off, you know, out of the way and tries to get into the ju- uh, to the shuttle. I but love bad, that. it's like, yeah, dude, get a fucking go, 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 go. <laughs> but bad Jessica fucking, nope, throws him. And this is this is one of the only times I was like, oh, like so she throws him through the air, and there's one scene where you could tell Peter Weller's like on like a dolly, moving forward, screaming to kind of like yeah. illustrate the, the 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 throw. You did not need that one little shot. You could have cut no. that out. Yeah, or, you know you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's cheesy. It's cheesy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he's all like fucked up. He, he kind of hits, you know, hits, he's further away from the shuttle now. He's, he's kind of away and everything. Um, bad Jessica tries to get in the shuttle, but uh oh, good Jessica throws her out and they start fighting. I have to admit, I thought that this fight was very well execute, executed for a low budget because every time like they, they within two minutes, do a great job of establishing the power that these two screamers have. Uh, they're they're going back and forth. They're fighting each other, you know. But when they flip one another over, when they land on the ground, like they do the the camera shake to like illustrate the the weight and the heft to it. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. It really is. Like yeah. honestly, much better than it ever should have been. Yeah, no, I'm totally totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Joe makes his way back to the shuttle and grabs a gun. Bad Jessica and Good Jessica kind of keep fighting, uh, but then, but then we hear the counter audibly say two minutes to launch, and then Good Jessica is distracted long enough for Bad Jessica to punch a hole her fist right through her chest. Joe then shoots Bad Jessica, but it doesn't do shit to her. Uh, she starts screaming. Joe's kind of like on top of the shuttle, standing. She starts screaming, and then the shuttle does the pre-launch engine test and fucking fries her. Not the worst, not the best special effects, but passable, totally fine. Yeah, not the not not bad at all. But my only thing was like. When they they would have warned you right before the uh, yeah. the the jets went off. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But, but it's neither here nor there. Yeah. It, it's a good way to destroy the 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 final villain. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 definitely a fun way. You know. Yeah. Joe goes back to his Jessica, and she says she was afraid to go back to Earth because of what you know what she might do. She was afraid that her programming would sort of take over. Uh, Joe comforts her and says, uh, you're coming up in the world. You've learned how to kill each other now. You know, and Jessica said she also learned how to love. And then she dies oh, in his God. arms. Uh, <laughs> Joe climbs into the shuttle. We see it take off, go into space. And he radios San Francisco and everything. And he takes off his tab because he no longer needs it, throws it in the back. And we see that teddy bear. 
that David was carrying was is, is back in the shuttle too. And then that teddy bear starts moving. Roll credits. Wild. So Myra knew. She was like, I think I think Jessica's a, a screamer. She she kind of clocked her uh, midway through. I was like, ah, good job, babe. Good job. Yeah. But overall, I have to say, I love this movie more than I thought I was going to. I, I know I picked it. I know that I already knew I liked it. I didn't realize, I didn't think it was going to hold up this well. Not the CGI, not the CGI, not some of the special effects, but the themes that they're playing with, like the shit that they're talking about, the core of the movie, I think is fucking awesome. And on top of it, the performances are fantastic. For a low-budget sci-fi horror movie, you do not normally see performances like this. Yeah, I, I I think I can say, because I didn't pick it, that... I was pleasantly surprised overall. Uh, I enjoyed it overall. The The cheesy moments actually made it more entertaining because it, it gave you a moment to laugh and, and be silly. Um, and I agree with you. The acting was great. The story was great. Uh, and, you know, the, the special effects were as bad as they were. Were pretty damn good for a low-budget film. Uh, and, and, and the locations were fantastic. Yeah. So I I'm I highly enjoyed it and would watch it again, no problem. Um, the Shout Factory Blu-ray, it's so funny. Blu-rays are funny in some ways because I'm like, you know, it looks fine. It looks fine, but it doesn't look like they really even cleaned it up at all. It just looks like the, the DVD version. I mean, I feel like it could watch the DVD version and look identical to it. Um, so as far as like quality is concerned of the picture, it's like, meh, whatever. It's all good. Um, I appreciate that they put some extras on the, on the disc and they gave you the reversible, you know, sleeve, uh, that that's all good stuff. And yeah, man, I'm glad you chose it. It was nice to go down memory lane and uh, rectify something that I would have just kind of blown off and not had any interest in. And also, too, I was like, oh, you know, down to every actor. I'm like, I want to see more of this person. I want to see more of this person, you know. It was good stuff. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I was a little worried you weren't gonna like it, and you know, I'm you know that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, we we don't we're not trying to like go through every movie ever and be super critical of everything. We're looking at movies that we knew we loved when we were kids to kind of see if they still sort of hold up and everything. And honestly, if we're going to talk about something for three hours, I want to be having a good time with it, you know? And I was like, Oh, I hope, you know, I was a little bit like I could see it going the other way. And, and, and if it did, I would have been totally like, I get it. I totally understand. But the fact that like, Myra liked it. I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe Zach's going to like it too. And you and I, this is one of the ones you and I didn't really talk about uh, uh, prior. And and that kind of got me concerned because a lot of times when we're about really excited about something, uh, we, we kind of text each other. We don't talk too much because we want to save it for the air. But we kind of text each other and everything. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard from him for this one. I was like, oh, man, this could be a rough one. <laughs> I think but. because I, I, watched it, uh, I watched it pretty early on. Mm. Uh, usually I, I, I wait, you know, if I'm not breaking a movie down, I, I wait until a couple days prior, but I watched this one early on. So I, I, once I watched it, I was like, okay, yeah, good, cool. Yeah. I'm good. Nice. I, I'll save all my notes and, uh, we'll be good to go. 
Bada bing, bada boom. I mean, and, I think and, I think the bottom line is you can't go wrong with Peter Weller. You can't. You can't. Uh, I guess that means we're going to have to watch Shakedown at some point down the road. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. No, and, but uh, trust me. We're, for On my end, we're covered for the next seven months. So. Uh, oh, oh, I know. I'm, I'm staring at like a pile of DVDs all wrapped from you. And I'm about to send out a few more for you, too. So, And I have one that you're going to open right away. And all I'm going to say is I'm tired of waiting. And it's coming. Oh, buddy, it's coming. Be excited. Be very fucking excited for the next movie that I'm bringing to the table. I hope it's not something I already got for you. Did his mama take one? It better not be L.A. Bounty. <laughs> it's not. It's not L.A. Bounty. It's something, that, I... it's something that I've been wanting to bring to the table for a while, but we've discussed that like we wanted a better version to be out, but... It ain't coming anytime soon, and I'm tired of fucking waiting. And oh, I know, but I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna play dumb. I'm gonna play total dumb. And I will tell you this: your next movie, it's not L.A. Bounty. Oh, I thought it was gonna be. I thought I was gonna. Be. God damn it! But I will say this: it's timely. <laughs> and I have no. I have no connection to. <laughs> to la bounty it's just that like i just remember seeing the cover that's all and i know wings hauser and Sybil danning are in it that's literally i i just sort of latched on to it and just started saying it like i, I well i i'm i well i can't say it's in there but well, i can say it's in there i was gonna say also that being said if it is la bounty i'm super excited to watch it <laughs> well you okay tell you what you got uh like three or four more wings movies for the rest for this year. I, I don't so, think anyone's uh, complaining about that, bro. And hell no. Least of all me. Shit. <laughs> Wings is the gift. <clears throat> Wings is the gift that keeps on giving. Damn right. He is. And you know what else is the gift that keeps on giving $2 late fee. Nice segue, bro. Nice segue. That was like the third one. <laughs> we fucking, I've botched two of them already. Well, you know, you probably are editing all this shit, but, um, yeah, $2 late fee, baby. Uh, we got, we got an interview. By the time this airs, we got an interview coming up uh, with Annabeth Gish, the Gish, the Gishinator uh, from Mystic Pizza, Shag, Hiding Out, X Files, Sons of Anarchy, uh, FX's The Bridge. The list goes. Oh, Haunting of Hill House, most recently. Oh um, wait, wait, who was she in that? Yeah, she was in that. Uh, and she's coming in the second season, which comes out, or the next season, which comes out in October, I guess, on Netflix. Oh, oh, um, she was in uh, not the was she was she in Hill House or the second one to that the the Bly or like remember there was a second one. I think the second one. Okay, okay, I didn't see the second one because the first one was too fucking intense, man. Yeah, no, I am. I cannot wait. There's so much to take in television wise. I haven't watched it yet, but I will. Um, but she was fantastic. You know, wonderful interview, and uh, as as whether people know or don't know, on $2 Late Fee, we cover a movie, a song from that movie, uh, pop culture moments from that era, and then typically the next episode, we interview someone connected with it. So we've got great interviews with Matt Adler from North Shore, uh, Kurt McKinney from No Retreat, No Surrender. The list goes on and on and on and on. And um, yeah, we have a good old time at $2 Late Fee. It's the nice sister wife to podcasting after dark i always say i'm a polygamist at heart because i have two wives <laughs> podcasting after dark and two dollar late fee you know who else has two wives is my co-host sleazy c he's got more than two wives you might have 
three at this point. But uh, he's got another wife. Uh, Adam. Named Cartwright. <laughs> Cartwright. Adam over at Cartwright. Yeah. Adam and I are talking about Seinfeld every single week on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We're also going through Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. And uh, that's some wild shit, man. I've never actually seen that show because... Uh, Awkward humor sometimes is hard for me. I cringe a lot when it happens, but I'm having a good time with, with Curb, and I'm always having a great time with Seinfeld. Where uh, we actually, uh, by the time you listen to this, the same week on the on Cartwright, we are going to be basically reviewing the 100th episode of Seinfeld. So that means we've reviewed 99 episodes of Seinfeld prior to that. Wild. It's insane. Wild. And again, I always say the one thing I love it, you got me, Zach, you got me addicted to kind of watching, you know, auteurs, um, their, like like John Carpenter, their filmography in order. And that segued into my, my love for kind of revisiting the show, but doing it, you know, the show that I'm used to watching in syndication, but actually now watching it in order, uh, it's it's a lot of fun to actually see the connective tissue and everything, and uh, nice. I really like seeing that kind of stuff. And uh, you got me addicted to that with our John Carpenter binge that we did back in Jesus, like 2015, maybe. I'm thinking. Wow, yeah. a long time ago. You're welcome. You're yeah. Welcome millions of years ago so <laughs> but uh yeah check out all the the shows we have on the bfop network check out our patreon you know we're fucking rocking and rolling over there we uh yeah i actually just put out a solo review of the world war z game um i just wanted to see if how long i could sort of talk for uh and i Pretty much pulled out a 25-minute review talking solo. Impressive. Yeah. Nice. Most impressive. Uh, Corey likes to talk. So uh, ch- check out our Patreon. We have all kinds of stuff over there. We have our monthly wrap-up after Dark Show. We have our interviews after Dark Show. We're starting to put in some bonus content here and there. Uh, it's We've got a shit ton of stuff going on. Videos, like Zach said, and everything. Our reveal videos. So we have a lot of fun. If you basically want to see a culmination of everything, that we do all of it it's it's not even found on our website everything that we produce is 100% on patreon.com slash podcasting after dark again that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark and as always we'll catch you on the dark side can I come with you can I Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>